Welcome to Small Bites. My name is Donato Marino with DNL, being the barista service, and also co-owner of Terry's Two Bar and Tavern in Folkroft, PA. And Derek, oh, I, I was expecting something more than that, Don. I mean, we're only seeing each other once every three months. That's the intro I get now. I'm sorry. Oh. Jeez, I mean, we're gonna have to go back to every week or every other week at this rate. I mean, geez. Well, I'm Derek Tim of BlueJeanFood.com. It's uh, great to see he, or not even see you, but uh, join everyone for our first episode of 2020 24. Well, not 2020 24, just 2024. <laughs> we're time travelers. Uh, we were thrilled to win lots of, uh, feed spot awards. Uh, I think there was five or six of them. Uh, we were on those lists again. We won, uh, Metro Philly best of entertainment for 2023. So, uh, we're thrilled. Everybody's enjoying the new yeah. format, but Thank do you know, everybody. yeah, yeah. But do you know a big reason of, uh, why we're so successful, Don? I think it's because of John Howard Fusco and his brilliant commentary. Darn rootin' tootin', and that's why we always have him kick off the show. How's it going, John? Doing well, guys. Now, Don, see, that's the way you should introduce Derek. You need to build him up. I, I don't want his <laughs> ego to get too big, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's always fun. Uh, we're in for the long haul on these uh, long shows. Uh, we've turned this program, started out as an hour. I always said I'd never do a two-hour program like Ed Hitzel did. We started to do two hours, and lo and behold, now we're doing three. Yeah. <laughs> never say never. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk about an interesting trend that's going on lately with South Jersey restaurants now opening spots in Philly. Uh, the most recent one announced is at uh, Goldsberger in Haddonfield. They've announced plans for a Philadelphia location that's slated to open in April of 2024, so just in a few months. Uh, it'll be located at 18th and Arch. This is according to our friend Marilyn Johnson over at Philly Grub. Uh, so other restaurants that have been recently doing this, recently there was an announcement by Rhythm and Spirits, which is a restaurant in Atlantic City. They're going to be opening in Philly this year. And also uh, Aunt Berta's in Oakland. Also, they have a couple of locations, actually one in Delaware as well. They're going to be opening a spot in Philly. So it's really interesting. Really? Trend. Yeah, oh, I didn't so, hear the one about Ampertas. Good yeah. job, John. So it's it, this is an interesting trend. Usually it's the other way around, but we're seeing places that are doing well in South Jersey finding the finding the the, the impetus to go and, and start up in Philly. So we'll see how they how they do this year. Um, Insomnia Cookies recently opened their flagship store in Center City at the corner of Broad and Chestnut, according to Philly Voice. It's the largest store the company has, uh, and the company has the headquarters. Their new headquarters is occupies two floors above. So they got the, basically have the first three floors uh, in the corner there of Broad and Chestnut. Uh, Insomnia Cookies now has over 270 locations throughout the country. They've even opened stores in Canada and the UK. So this company continues to grow and do well, um, Philly-based, and uh, now have a huge store in Center City. Uh, on the Jersey side, uh, Radins Delicatessen uh, is now open in Cherry Hill. Uh, this is a new project from Russ Cohen, who ran the uh, well-loved, famous 4th Street Deli in Philly for many years. I recently sold that. Uh, this is a place that's closer to home from him because he lives in South Jersey. 
Uh, but this is not his first venture in South Jersey doing a deli. Of course, he is the original owner of the Kibitz Room, also in Cherry Hill. Uh, so this is, again, he's back in South Jersey running a deli. He says it's going to be his last one, his retirement deli. We'll see if that's the case. But, uh, again, that's now open in Cherry Hill. And so far, people are loving it. So great to hear. Uh, not so great news is that the uh, tasting room at Flying Fish Brewing in Somerdale is no more. Uh, you've probably read about this. The brewery has gone through bankruptcy. Uh, actually, the Flying Fish name and intellectual property has been purchased by a brewery in Maryland. Uh, so they'll no longer also be brewing in Somerdale as well. That facility not be used. There had been hope last year that Cape May Brewing was going to come in and, and, and buy them, become partners, but that deal fell through. So fortunately, Flying Fish no longer a South Jersey uh, item. Kind of sad to see they'd been uh, for a number of years. They were kind of like one of the leaders, certainly in the South Jersey brewing area. Uh, but unfortunately, financial wise, just fell in hard times and um, no longer, no, no longer around. So we'll, we'll see what happens as far as how the name is used in future by this other brewing company. Um, and saying on the beer side of things, uh, this is an interesting story that came out this past week. There's an educational brewery that's in the works. It's going to be going to be located on Main Street in Morristown. So this is a program that's going to involve the <clears throat> excuse me the community house in Morristown, uh, Rowan College, and also Kings Road Brewing Company. Uh, this is the venture that will be the first not only the first microbrewery in Morristown, but it's also going to be an educational program offered by Rowan. So if you're going to Rowan and you're studying, you're interested in in in, in learning about microbrewery, this is actually an actual working microbrewery that will be. Uh, part of the education program. It's kind of an interesting idea. So we'll see what happens. Uh, follow me on next Twitter and Instagram at Eating in Nest Jersey, as well as the South Jersey Food Scene website and Facebook page. Uh, South Jersey Food Scene just started a monthly newsletter in January and uh, look for some contributions from yours truly in the next newsletter, something I'm trying to do on a regular basis uh, to work with Marilyn on that. So uh, look forward to, to, to that coming out. That's great. So, John. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's sad to see a lot of the local breweries are slowly starting to uh, uh, feel an effect, I guess, of the economy with the uh, microbreweries. Uh, the competition is getting so uh, stiff that it's hard for them to compete at a regular basis anymore. Yeah, I think I think we're kind of past the growth spurt. and There was definitely a, a growth period. We had a lot of breweries opening all, all once. And now we're at the, we're the point where the market's kind of matured a bit. People's drinking habits have changed too. Uh, so you're starting to see a few having to uh, having to go out of business. But the good ones will, should stay in business because they are still, a lot of them are located in, in town centers and their meeting places. Uh, so... Uh, but yeah, we've we've worked. I think we're kind of past the growth period, and now we're yeah. kind of. Well, I think also mature. not being able to have a food truck, or I mean, not being able yeah. to have a kitchen, and they have to rely on a food truck yeah. to supply uh, food for their uh, customers. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, mean, I'm I, glad I, that... I know, I know. When you know, I'm, I'm enjoying a beer, draft beer, or uh, one of the uh, IPAs. I always like to have it on a full stomach. Yeah, I mean, I th I think I think they've they've passed recent legislation in in the state, thankfully, to kind of loosen some rules so they can have the food trucks and have events. Uh, brewers were really upset because the state had been really strict on that kind of stuff, and weren't allowing them to have things like 
like like food trucks on site and allow events to happen. It was really making a bad situation worse, uh, which certainly wasn't helping things. But they've loosened some rules on that. Good to see that. Um, certainly, even though it's not as big a growth industry, it's still an industry that has that's 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 pretty vibrant and is you know and it's jobs and it's and it's economic growth and you you don't want to kill something like you don't want to kill an industry no <laughs> yeah no definitely not i mean the nice thing about the breweries is they introduce us to a whole different uh, uh avenue or 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 on different taste of beers that normally we would never would have thought of yeah, yeah, I mean they they, they were great, and and it, it is so unfortunate that they're declining in such high numbers in New Jersey. But it was great to talk to you, John. We've got a busy show tonight, and I know you're busy, so uh, we'll look forward to talk to you again on our next show. All right, guys, take care. Have All a good right, John. Evening. Take care. Good Thanks so much. Uh, but as I said, Don, we got a big show ahead of us, and uh, with a big show comes big bites big bites wholesome big bites big bites wholesome comforting recipes that are big on flavor nourishment and fun by our first guest cat ashmore how's it going tonight cat it's going great thanks for having me it is our pleasure now my goodness gracious listen to this don Cat uh, has more than 2.3 million followers on social medias and uh, close to 50,000 in an email newsletter subscribers. Wow. Good golly. That's, that's incredible. Congratulations. I have th- well, I, I have 3 million now. <laughs> but uh, who's counting? Yeah, it's been, a wild, <laughs> it's been a wild ride here, especially in the last couple of months. So I'm very grateful. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're international bestseller. Uh, this this book really just kicked off. Uh, as we said, you're the creator of Cat Ken Cook. Uh, it, the, the large majority came from Hungry Lady Salads, which was on TikTok. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the evolution of that? Yeah, that has, I mean, that continues to be a bit of a phenomenon, which is amazing. You just never know what is really going to take off. Um, I introduced the concept of a hungry lady salad, which is really, it is genderless. Let's just be clear. So it applies to everyone. Uh, But it's really these big meal in a bowl salads that are going to keep you really satisfied throughout the day and oftentimes can be prepared and made ahead so they're perfect for meal prep throughout the week and you know it came about because it was the beginning of january in 2021 and i was looking around thinking to myself there's somewhere for people to go if they are keto or if they're paleo or if they're vegan if they follow a regimented diet plan but what about everyone that is entering January, they want to feel better, they want to fit in their clothes, and they don't want to go on a diet. They just want to eat better, and they want to feed their families better. And I didn't see a lot of places for them to go. So it felt like a a very uh, sensible place for me to step into, because that is what I believe, you know, true healthy eating is. 
Yeah, I mean, you you definitely uh, hit a spot that everybody could relate to, and you're you're doing a great job with it. Uh, you you've now fast forward. Uh, we've got a book that has 110 simple, nourishing, mostly gluten free recipes that are just big on flavor. And as you said, you are reimagining uh, the concept of healthy food because for a long time. Healthy was always imagined as not tasteful. Yeah, cardboard. <laughs> cardboard. Yeah, exactly. Listen, my dad was an Irishman, a meat and potatoes kind of guy. And he used to always say that you knew something was good for you because it didn't taste like anything. And that so, equals flavor was the uh, motto. Yep, yep. Yeah. And so after I went to culinary school, I made it my mission to mind and I was pretty successful at it. So my recipes are hearty. You know, we aren't not talking about a couple of pieces of iceberg and a tomato. You know, but you will see in this book, we have everything from the ultimate meatloaf with caramelized onions and horseradish, you know, to wings and you know, all cakes, all kinds of food that is going to be really suitable for your whole family because no, no one wants to be making three or four different meals to feed their family. 100%. I mean, we're all busy and everybody's yeah. going 10 different directions. And uh, Don, I know that you enjoyed the book too, especially the way it was broken down. And uh, I'll let everyone know, uh, you have recipes broken down, breakfast, snacks, hungry lady salads, which we know uh, anybody salads, yeah. uh, weeknights, Sunday suppers, veggies and sides, desserts, and this is the one that I really liked. Uh, and me and you had a chuckle with this one, Don. Secret weapons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are just things that are really quick to make. I call them flavor bombs, too, because you have them in your fridge, things like pickled onions or a quick pesto, and they just add a ton of flavor on those nights. They're like, oh, I just want to throw some ground beef on the on the grill or a skillet and call it a day. Add some pickled onions to it. It just makes it into a more elevated thing without a lot of work. That's great. Uh, now I'm just going to rewind a little bit to go a little bit into your past because uh, it, it's very impressive to say the least. If anyone's not familiar with your work, uh, you did get to work uh, for Martha Stewart on the eight-time Emmy award-winning program, The Martha Stewart Show. My question to you is, was she an icon to you? Was this someone that you always aspire to even just meet, let alone work for? Very much so. I used to, when I was in, I mean, as young as probably 12 or 13 years old, I used to read cookbooks as novels. I still do. I would read them at bedtime in my bed. You know, I would take them on vacations and my brother would be like, we're in a hotel. There's no kid. Like, why are you bringing a cookbook <laughs> on vacation with you? But those were the stories that I loved. I mean, a cookbook is a story that always has a happy ending. Who doesn't want to read that? So I mean, one of the earliest books that I remember reading was her ent entertaining book. And so getting the opportunity to work for her, but also have such intimate time with her on something like the show, you know, where you see her at eight o'clock in the morning, making her coffee and her Crocs before hair and makeup. And you just, ha it was very surreal. And it shaped a lot of not just who I am professionally, but who I am personally. I learned a lot from her. 
Well, and and if she's proven anything to uh, everyone, is she can definitely uh, change with the times. Is her collaborations with Snoop Dogg? I can honestly say I would have yeah. never guessed that in a million years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from that to Sports Illustrated, I mean, she says yes. You know, she says yes, and her her motto. You nailed it. Her motto is always. When you're through changing, you're through. She always yeah. says that. And yeah. that was something that, you know, even getting onto TikTok in 2020, when, you know, I'm 42 years old now, I, I certainly have a lot of life hopefully left in me. But at the time, TikTok was not viewed the way that it is now. You know, people looked at it like this platform where a bunch of kids were dancing. And so a lot of people kind of rolled their eyes. And I just kept my head down. I felt like this was going to be the next thing and it was going to be the next real professional platform. And now my motto is if everybody understands it, it's too late. You know, Definitely. don't be afraid yeah. to do the thing that people roll their eyes at you for because there's going to come a time when they're going to ask you how, how you did it. Definitely. Definitely. I, I like that motto. And uh, talking about collaborations, uh, Who's someone that you would love to collaborate, whether on TikTok or another cookbook or just a segment on a show? Uh, who, who, who's that dream collaborator that you haven't worked with yet? Mm, that's a great question. Um, you know, somebody that I would have said the late Anthony Bourdain, for sure. I mean, of course, that's not possible now. But I think what he did for not just the food world, but for it really to dispel cultural cultural ignorance in North America has been very profound. Um, but I would say at this point, I mean, I would love to be with Martha again. We did a live together on TikTok about a year ago, but I do have some plans to get in the kitchen with Katie Couric, who I adore. She endorsed my cookbook and she loves to cook. And I just, I love storytellers. I love people who have walked a really interesting life and taken a lot of lessons along the way. And I think that she's the epitome of that. That's great. That's great. Now let's get back to the book. As we mentioned, it's called big bites. So obviously you've gone larger than us because we just like to deal with small bites. Right. Uh, <laughs> There's uh, a time and a place for small bites as well. <laughs> especially when you're in Spain, they, they, they really yeah. enjoy the small yeah, bites we'll tap it. Yeah. <laughs> there. Yeah. Uh, wh what would you say, uh, one or two, what are two recipes in this book uh, are the must-haves of why anyone needs to go out and purchase this? The musts. Okay. So what I will say is the most popular recipe so far, it's always interesting to me to see what people start making first. The most popular recipe so far, certainly of any of the baked goods, um, is the orange ricotta company cake. And this is a cake. It is exactly the way that I love to bake because I call it a company cake because it is very quick to put together and it's something that you can freeze. So you can just have it on hand for when people drop by or you're having company, you take it out of the freezer, it freezes really well, you throw a glaze on it and you are good to go. It stays moist for up to four or five days. It's just a fabulous recipe to have on hand. You know, it happens to be 
gluten-free. It ha happens to be less sugar. I'm still using granulated sugar. I, it's not, I'm not, I'm not into making baked goods out of like a lawnmower, you know, something that just doesn't belong <laughs> in, in a recipe. You know, I am always just looking at how much can I cut back on that without affecting the integrity of, of the recipe. So that is a really, really good one. And then I know I mentioned the meatloaf, but I think that this meatloaf is really, really special because I sort of made it my mission to make meatloaf modern and kind of upscale because it can get a bad rap, right? Like they're from school cafeterias, mystery meatloaf. I think <laughs> people some sometimes kind of are like, oh, meatloaf. But who doesn't love a great meatloaf? It's just something that is so satisfying and the caramelized onions in there add a little bit of like jammy sweetness and moisture to offset the horseradish. Horseradish and beef are a very classic combination. And so I thought to myself, what if we put some horseradish into a beef meatloaf? And it just makes it feel sophisticated enough for company, hearty enough for a Sunday dinner, but easy enough to put together for a busy Tuesday. And the, the, those are the recipes that I think are great to have in your arsenal. Definitely, and yeah. I mean, meatloaf is the ultimate comfort food. Oh, oh, oh I have to agree. I have to agree with you 100%. Uh, yeah. And adding the horseradish, yeah. I think, is a great twist to it. Yeah, and, it's just a way to take something that feels really familiar, but just make it a bit more unique. And people often say, God, I have all of this in my kitchen, but I never would have thought to put it together. And that's what I love to hear. Yeah, and Don, I don't know if you noticed this recipe. I think this one's going to be popular in your kitchen the spicy fusilli with tomato and cream oh, but there was a yeah. twist there was a twist instead <laughs> of heavy cream don because not only do we want to watch our weight and eat healthier and i yeah. and i know that you are uh you, you well, can't have donis. milk i look like an adonis mm -hmm. now <laughs> but <laughs> it, it it's with coconut milk instead of the heavy cream no. And don't get freaked out, Don, okay? Because the coconut milk, it's, you will not taste any coconut flavor. I promise you. Because all it does is it acts as that creamy component. And the thing about coconut milk is that if you add enough savory ingredients to it, like we've got garlic, we've got tomato paste that you're caramelizing. I mean, you've got some really deep savory flavors it completely masks any potential coconut taste. So you get this dairy-free, creamy sauce. You can use he heavy cream if you want. But again, I'm always challenging myself to, you know, remake these really comforting, delicious recipes in a way that are more inclusive for everyone. Definitely. Definitely and the, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> take it to the uh, next uh, Italian. Uh, what's that club you belong to, Don? Uh, they have like, uh, yeah, it's like yeah. 100, 200 Italians all gathered together at, at once. Uh, you know, no nothing. one will know. I guarantee you. I won't. I won't have to try to bring it no down. No one will know. Yeah. I, I won't even tell them what's in it. Don't. Until after they Don't. try it. That's the fun <laughs> part. <laughs> the. The other part of the book is the pictures are wonderful. I don't know who did the photography, but great job. Yeah, it's Christine Hahn. She is 
incredible. And I am not a food photographer. Okay. I know my limitations. I know how to make stuff taste good. I am definitely not a food photographer. So when it came time to um, hiring a food photographer for the book, my publisher was sort of like, now, were you planning on photographing the recipes yourself? And I was like, uh, no, I want to sell books. <laughs> I want to get a really good food photographer in here. She did an incredible job. And, you know, it's, I think the nice thing is that she took my direction, which is that I didn't want any of the photos to feel too styled or too formal. You know, I wanted it to be really about the food. Like the food's the hero here. I don't really care about, I know we have to have some props and plates and stuff, but I wanted to be really zoomed in on the food. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. It, it's a wonderful, I like how simple that you put all of the directions for everyone, even for people that aren't a great cook like myself. Mm, good. I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah, there's there's times when you, a cookbook makes a big difference, and uh, a lot of people are afraid to experiment because they're you know, they're not growing up that way. They they and they're not even sure what to even put together. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm hoping that this will be helpful for all different levels of cooks. That's certainly what I aim for it to be. Well, that's right. That's what I always tell people. I says, you know, don't be afraid to make something. I mean, it, it, go uh, go outside your your realm of comfort, yeah, and uh, create something. Because yeah, uh, it, it's if you know if you follow a, a good cookbook like like the one that you have, and the way you explain everything in it, people are going to enjoy putting stuff together and 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 try different things that they normally would never ever try. Right. Right. I, you know, I really encourage people to approach recipes with a sense of experimentation and curiosity rather than judgment. You know, there's no right or wrong. I, and I always am very honest about the fact that I learn more from the recipe fails that I have than I do the recipes that are a hit right away. I always look at what went wrong. What could I do differently? That's the way to become a good cook. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat you are. There's stuff yeah. I, I experiment with, and I tell my wife, I says, look, it's the first time I'm making this. And, yeah, uh, good for you. You're giving a disclosure. <laughs> a disclaimer, exactly. Right, right. There's, there's times it comes out good. There's times that, uh, you know, eh, it's still edible. <laughs> right, but it's all an experiment, right? I mean, I think just looking at it like an experiment rather than a measure of your moral value, you know, let's just, let's lighten up, let's enjoy it, you know, and let's maybe learn something in the process. Exactly, exactly. Well, uh, well, Kat, it was such a joy talking to you. Uh, we are thrilled that you are an international bestseller uh, with Thank this you. book. Uh, and and uh, as, as you said earlier, over 3 million social media followers. Uh, we look forward to uh, future collaborations. All the best luck to you and uh, stay in touch for any uh, projects that you have coming up in the future. I look forward to it as well. It was great talking, nice talking with you to both. You. Have a great evening. All right, you do care. the same. Thank, okay. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. And uh, now we have uh, a great guest coming up to explore the world with. Uh, I'll do the best to pronounce her name correctly. You know, I'm, uh, that's not my strong point, Don. <laughs> yeah, that's that's okay. <laughs> you do a good job, though. We, we try. We, we, we try. Anyway. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Rowena Schur. 
Yes. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you perfectly. Oh, perfect. Uh, but we not only have her online because she has a new book called A Taste of the Taste of the World, celebrating global flavors. But uh, one of the projects and things that she did before this cookbook was she had an amazing uh, service where kids would get things uh, delivered to to their home, and they would be able to cook them with their parents. So we have a special guest because my own son used the program and would cook oh, wow. with those as well. So we have Derek Tim Jr. joining us remotely as well. How's it going tonight, son? Very good. <laughs> Hello. I'm a little explorer. I'm a little explorers. So you have two Derek's for the price of one tonight. It's never <laughs> happened in, uh, on the show tonight. Lucky me. <laughs> so we'll start with uh, you. Let's, let's get a little background of the book, A Taste of the World, Celebrating Global Flavors. I, I have an idea of how the idea came about from the uh, mail order service, but uh, you're the guest. Why don't you explain how the idea uh, came about? Sure. Uh, first of all, E2Explore is still around. It's just, it's still my, you know, basically what I do 24 7. Uh, the cookbook is just basically an offshoot of, of E2Explore. Um, so I started E2Explore because I feel, well, E2Explore is a food and cultural experiential cooking kit. And my whole idea is I like to unite families to the joy of culinary adventures so they can discover the global cuisines and culture together as a family. Um, and then my whole mission is I love to to build global citizenship among our next generation so that they can actually also learn a life skill of cooking. Um, so the book came out because so many of my customers like Derek, yourself, and, and, and Derek Jr., who love the recipes and always ask for the spices and how you, you know, um, our curated spice mixes. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to put a book together so all of you can make it at home. And the differentiator with E2Explore is if you want to create a routine of cooking together every month, you know, E2Explore is still great because it's not just about the food, it's about the whole culture. You learn geography and music and art and language and, and just immerse yourself in the country. So that's really the differentiator between E2Explore um, experiential boxes um, and the cookbook. Definitely, because uh, what I like is you're really cultivating cultural understanding through these culinary experiences, whether it's the book, A Taste of the World, Celebrating Global Flavors, or through your service, as you mentioned, uh, Eat to Explore. Yes. And, and, you know, it's such a fun way to learn. And there's so much history, even with food and how the spices, you know, through the spice trade have come all and to all different countries and how we all adapt it over time. So it's, it's, it's a great way to actually open up conversation with, with your children um, and, and then you got a meal out of it, right? So as we know, a lot of kids are very picky eater, but I really believe if you get them involved and they know what goes into the meal, they're more likely to try, try something different. Definitely. That's a great way to mm. expand your palate. And uh, I, I think, I don't know if any other program you have been on has had an actual 
person who has tested and participated in cooking and eating. So that's why we brought Derek Tim Jr. on here. How's it going tonight, Derek? Long time no see. <laughs> yep. Going very great. It's going very great. So why don't you tell Rowena, uh, tell her an experience of maybe one of the favorite ones that you cooked, like the recipe and the country. Do you remember any? Um, the first one that pops off my head is the pita pockets from Greece. Oh, that's a good one. And why, and why, 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 why did you enjoy that? Because it was very fun to make and, um, cook on the grill and it was um, just very good oh so you, what you did you learn about greece did you learn something fun about greece and all the ingredients um i learned about their um like uh i learned some of the myths from their uh, mythology mm, great great yeah and how did it taste so making it was fun the important part is how did it taste yeah exactly um, well, it's hard. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Um. So the pita tasted like um some warm bread, and then the um chicken with the um spices and herbs was um tasted really good. Uh -huh. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> but you enjoyed it. <laughs> but you ate it all. <laughs> nothing left on the plate. <laughs> That's great. So the most important question is, would you recommend to, to, to tell all your friends to go buy this book, A Taste of the World? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you, Terry Jr. <laughs> uh, now, uh, one of the other things about this book is you get to reminisce about food because say you did visit somewhere you get to remember or even experience it through your mind of what it would be like. That, that's one of the reasons why I like to taste of the world. Or, or even before, I really think a lot of times people think about, you know, remembering after, but even before you go, I think it's really important before you make a trip, you know, it's, it's to dedicate some time to learn about it. And then when you're actually there, um, you can really immerse and enjoy it. And then you can actually compare what you make at home versus what you actually tasted definitely and i i can personally speak on that and derek can chime in maybe uh, we went to brazil and oddly enough uh, i think it was only a month later maximum two months later we received a box that was for us to cook things from brazil remember that derek um yeah definitely <laughs> you make feijoada my favorite um I'm pretty sure we did. <laughs> Usually everything that was in the box, uh, we, we cooked. And I, I have to say, the steps were great. I think it was a good bonding experience. And I think A Taste of the World is doing the same exact thing. Because as you mentioned, uh, you're breaking it down into the cookbook of the exact steps, the exact ingredients that you need so it it's really uh, a tool that you can use to use it over and over and over again as to oppose the eat to explore as you mentioned sometimes they come with a unique spice spice blend but it didn't go in the details of how to make that spice blend 
Right, exactly. This is what the book is for. But I also want to emphasize that our, our cookbook is quite different because it's, it's meant for families and kids. So unlike most cookbooks, we have steps that show the images. So and also make it really simple as, as if you don't know how to cook, right? Instead of telling you a cup of diced onion, we actually teach you and give you the steps of how to dice an onion. Um, so I think that makes it easier. Uh, and, and children are more visual, so the steps, the images definitely Definitely. And also, uh, I'm a firm believer of you have to go somewhere to understand someplace. We can see pictures. You can you can see a, a picture of Christ the Redeemer online, but to actually visit it in uh, person is a whole different story. Totally Definitely. Different story. Um, uh, my son has been lucky to travel to many places. Why don't you mention a couple places, Junior? Um, uh, um, Bali. South Africa. Nice. Um, I was just there. The Azores, Jamaica, Mexico, Ecuador. So as as you see, the list can go on. We'll stop uh, you there. Uh, <laughs> uh, amazing. You lucky boy. Amazing. But, but one but one of the things is when you're there or even your book, A Taste of the World, the power of food in cultural understanding. Don't you agree? That's the whole idea. I think, you know, not, not everybody has the luxury of, of traveling, but that doesn't constrain you from learning. And I think that's what that's why our slogan is explore the world in your kitchen, because you can always start from home. And that's always, uh, you know, a lot of people are very scared to try something different. Um, I think, you know, like you and I, we're lucky enough to have the opportunity to travel and we love food. But a lot of people who are parents who are not good cook, they, they get intimidated when they're trying something different. And what I would love them to do is with this cookbook is, you know, give it a chance. Um, the food is always delicious. Um, it's, it, you're done it with love and from your home and doing as a family. It, it's really important to start exploring and expanding, not just your palate, but your global uh, understanding, right? Because we do live in a very connected world nowadays. Um, electronically or global, like you know, technologically, but we as a home socially sometimes are still not connected and we still don't know what's going on outside of the United States. So, you know, start from home somewhere where you feel safe and, and you're comfortable and you're familiar and then take that baby steps to go and explore the world. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, how about you, Don? I mean, uh... Uh, you you love to travel as well. What, what are the things that you are questioning about the book or anything about the services? I, I think the book is well put together, and, and I think it gives a great opportunity for people that, like you mentioned, that don't have the opportunity to be able to travel, to go to these different countries where your book brings them as close as the real thing uh, until they're able to to go visit firsthand so i think they oh. it's a good way for them to enjoy it i mean i luckily i've been able to go with traveling to colombia brazil and other countries as well um so and derek derek joined you to uh colombia we, <laughs> we all went together we on that one there's so many countries we have to have to do like south africa i was just there um, you know, so many countries that we need to continue adding. Yes, I mean, uh, the, 
and that's one of the things that uh, traveling uh, and the book, when you go places, it's sort of it, it's fostering empathy through culinary adventures because. As you mentioned, a lack of understanding is the root of many global issues today, even in the United States, unfortunately. And uh, if we can build upon those bridges, what's one thing everyone has to do in order to survive? We have to eat. Eat, exactly. And, and I mean, I think I'm pretty sure Derek Jr. is has a good, good palate, but a lot of you know, I have two kids and, and they're great. They, they have great palate because I train them well. But a lot of kids just eat pasta, pizza, and burger, you know, in this country. And I feel like there's so much flavor in the world that if you, you know, your palate is like walking, right? Like like your, your feet. It needs to be trained before you could run. And so if you slowly introduce new flavor and ingredients when they're small, you know, when they're young, as they're growing up, they will be much better, you know, culturally and palette-wise to, like, explore. Oh, uh, that, that's great. Now, uh, we have just a couple minutes left. Uh, there is a country that I haven't visited. Obviously, uh, Derek Jr. hasn't been there as well, and it's been on uh, my map for quite some time to visit. So what would you recommend? And unfortunately, we we didn't get a box for this country either. Otherwise, we'd be a little bit. Your home country, Malaysia. Oh, yes, I know. The closest I have is Singapore. And I don't have Malaysia um, because it's very similar. I was toying between Malaysia and Singapore because Singapore is so much more well-known as the food mecca of Southeast Asia. I picked Singapore. Okay. the rest, the recipes are the same. If you have not done it yet, love to send you a box and check it out. It's very, very similar. I mean, Singapore historically, Singapore was part of Malaysia. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and when you're in Singapore, I mean, those food stalls, world class. There, there's not many other yeah. places That's in the it. world it's that you're going to find that level of food. 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 Oh my goodness, and how clean and everything that is an impressive uh, country it, it, it truly yes. is yes they, um, they have definitely done a great job um, but we we could talk for hours travel <laughs> but that's the reason why i really enjoy this book and i'm glad that you came out with it a taste of the world celebrating global flavors you have more than 60 family friendly recipes in there and uh, you can explore the world in your own kitchen. That that's the easiest way to put it. <laughs> that's it. Twenty countries in in that cookbook. And uh, as we can attest, Derek Tim Jr. The recipes are one hundred percent valid and delicious, aren't they? Definitely. <laughs> so you, you you've got the stamp of approval from Derek Tim Jr. and it. myself. I love it. Thank well, you so much. It was such a joy uh, talking to you, Rowena. We wish you the best of luck and uh, stay in touch. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good night. And uh, I'll talk to you uh, later, Derek, Tim, uh, Jr. Have yourself a great night. All right. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. Take care, Derek. <laughs> See, that was a surprise, Don. You didn't, you didn't expect it was. that. It's a great him. surprise. <laughs> I said, who better to have on the program? 
than someone who's actually used the product. Right. Well, the nice thing about it is, is it's kid friendly where they're not, they don't feel intimidated pulling the product out and making it and, and, uh, and enjoying it. Exactly. Exactly. But we've got a busy, busy show, Don. As you know, we just got to keep on rocking and rolling. And uh, we got ourselves another wonderful uh, book here. And uh, I know you use this product, and I, I've been using it more and more, an air fryer. So we've got a just-released cookbook, Air Fryer, all day. 120 tried and true recipes for family-friendly comfort food. And we've got the authors with us, Becky Abbott and Jen West. And these are the best kind of guests because I didn't even stumble once on those names, oh, did I, no, Don? You did very well. <laughs> you just rolled off your tongue. <laughs> Sometimes it's a struggle. Uh, but how's it going uh, tonight, Becky and Jen? It's great. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's thanks for having us. It's our pleasure. So since we have both of you on, uh, we'll go back and forth. I'll try not to make one person feel more love than the other, uh, but just so we don't have anyone talking over each other. Uh, we'll start with uh, Becky. Uh, you're, you're first in the alphabet. I, I know how that goes, uh, Jen, because your last name's with W and mine's T, so we're, we're always pick last. Uh, so uh, Becky has first B and A in her last name, so she always gets picked first. So how's it going tonight, Becky? <laughs> It's great. Uh, so tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves and uh, how the book came about. Well, uh, Jennifer and I were complete strangers. We uh, met during COVID. We both had uh, Jen was blogging, and I was a stay-at-home grandma at the time, and former culinary teacher. And I we needed something to do, and so we both signed up for this uh, photo food photography class. Um, she lives in Louisiana and I live in Arizona and we met in this class. Um, I say met as in like we talked through the class and, you know, on Facebook messenger and we slowly became friends and, uh, uh, she started this Facebook group and she can tell you a little bit more about that, but she started, uh, this easy air fryer recipe group and it grew huge. And she and I started talking and she said, you know, we should start a blog. And I said, I don't know anything about blogging, but I can write recipes if you want to teach me. And so without ever really meeting in person, we talked a few times on the phone and we, you know, we were friends through distance. And so we started this business together without ever having meet um, in person. And it just took off. And then one year later, we were featured in the New York Times, one of our recipes. And um, that was a whole nother kismet story about how that happened but then um we got a, a cookbook deal and so uh -huh. it was great it, it, was, is, it was fun that is awesome well that was, that's a good start so now tag you're it jen so she mentioned that you started a facebook group what was it was it for fun was it for just uh just trying it out the, were you bored i mean everybody was home it was it was COVID times as as she mentioned uh tell us a little bit about yourself and your side of the story yeah absolutely thanks for having me again um so yeah like becky was saying i was a food blogger currently and you know COVID happened and we were staying at home and everything was shut down and I was doing the food photography course just to elevate my photography for the blog that I had at the time. 
And that's how we met. And I decided to start that group. I had an Instant Pot group also. So the blog that I was doing was just general food. So I had tons of different things. And I knew that, you know, I wanted to share more recipes. So I just, I started the group and it was, it wasn't meant to do what it did. I invited eight of my friends. Becky was one of them. And it was like a couple of the girls in the group and a couple of my friends that lived here. And I just remember like the next week, she's like, wow, you've got like a thousand people in the group. And I was like, whoa. Like, <laughs> and, you know, I was, we were already starting to share a couple of little things. But I think the next week there was like 10,000 people in there. It grew fast. Everybody was home. Everyone was obviously hot on the air fryer. And like she said, I was just like, hey, I had a blog. You know how to take pictures and write recipes. I can teach you. Um, that piece, let's start something, you know, we had talked and, and that's something that she wanted to do. And it just kind of went from there. So it's a joke. You know, we both, you know, if she's got young grandkids, I've got a kiddo and it's like, you always tell your kids don't talk to strangers. And here I am handing out my security number and we're starting a business. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, it's, it's been great. And like she said, it's, I mean, it's just been like a little amazing story. I mean, it grew so fast. The group now has almost two and a half million people in it. And, um, yeah. And, you know, and she was, she was telling you a little bit about our, you know, one year anniversary on our one year anniversary, we hit a million, uh, members in the group. We hit a million page views on our website. Then we were featured in the New York times and we got a call that day from what was eventually going to be our literary agent who, you know, manifested this amazing, offer for this book for us. So it's, it's been a whirlwind ride over the last few years. So COVID wasn't bad to us like it was to others. It was it actually exploded for us. Yeah. You're not, you're not kidding. Don, do you use an air fryer a lot? Probably not as much as I should. My wife uses a lot more than I do. I mean, she loves to, to do chicken in it and she loves to do some other uh, snack foods. But uh, according to your book, there's such a, a big uh, recipes that we're missing out on. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And that's why we, a lot of the recipes in the book, we, Jen and I are really big about experimenting and wanting to like open up this possibility of all the things that you can make in the air fryer. It's not just for reheating leftovers or, you know, making something like French fries or something like we, right. you know, we have beef stroganoff and we have casseroles and we have donuts and, you know, we have um, creme brulee and, and we just, we wanted to like, okay, what can this air fryer do? Let's, let's try it. Um, and so we put together, we tested a lot of recipes uh, to get where we have over 120 in the book and um, we just had fun playing around with like, what can this thing do? And I would say, I guess it's within the last two years, the devices have really become economical. They were a little pricey at first, but I think there's pretty much a model that can fit anybody's need for uh, many different budget sizes. Would you agree? Absolutely. You can, you can get the one that Jennifer and I use the most uh, is less than $200. And you could actually, I would even say maybe like 150 so you can definitely not spend, I mean, you can get a decent air fryer for under a hundred dollars these days, you know, black Fridays, especially, um, it, you don't need some big expensive, you know, five, $600 air fryer. 
definitely. Now, what are what are the options or the definitely have to gadgets or op the things that we want on an air fryer? Like the one that I have is an air fryer Instapot. So obviously, you know what brand it is because it's got the Instapot in mm -hmm. it. But I'm going to tell you, I've never used the Instapot portion of it once. <laughs> It seemed too cut. I looked at the direction and I was like, you know what? This thing's just going to be an air fryer. <laughs> <laughs> what would you recommend for an air fryer? What's the things that are must on an air fryer that we want to make sure when we're purchasing one? Jen, do you want to take that? Yeah, sure. I mean, my biggest thing that I love now, and, and you're right about the changes that the air fryers have made. They have made so many changes. They're economical, but I think they've also listened to the audience and the people that have been using them, not just bloggers. Um, and, and they've made a lot of really good changes. And these, you know, before when you would do recipes in them, you had to flip it because while you have the air circulation that's helping to cook, the heating element that was, you know, bringing in the temperature that was always on the top. So you needed to flip things that were in your air fryer, usually, you know, at least halfway through, sometimes more than that. You know, now they have multiple elements in an air fryer, so you don't have to do that anymore. So I definitely look for that. Um, I mean, they have, they have air fryers now that can connect to your Wi-Fi. I think you can preheat it if you want to from, you know, your front yard. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> those aren't are must-haves for me. Um, but if you like that, you know, that's, that's something that's good too. I prefer the basket style. I know a lot of people, you know, they might do the oven style or, you know, multiple devices like the one that you have with the, you know, the pressure cooker that's built into but I really like the basket style. I don't, you know, have to make anything really huge. And I find that it's, you know, it's a 6.8 quart. It's like the perfect size for a family of four. You can make almost anything in there and everything that's you're already putting in your oven or anything else that if it's oven safe, you can put it in your air fryer. So like she's saying, you know, you can make anything that you can make in the oven. If it'll fit, you can also make it in the air fryer. Yeah. Uh, so just, just anything, whatever fits you. But I find the most, I think for me, the most important piece, is it going to fit on my countertop? It is actually the one appliance that I do have on my countertop. Um, all the other ones stay in the closet. The other thing is that the dual, the dual element, I think that's very important. The other thing that, you know, is included in your air fryer, obviously is the sound that it's going to make. I really want mine to be quiet. And I don't know how long you've had yours, but you know, a few years ago when these first came out, they were pretty loud. I mean, it sounded almost like a jet engine was taking off. <laughs> in your um, and now, now that, you know, the, these have multiple elements in them and, you know, it's actually cooking faster, but they're a lot quieter now. I know when I got my new one, I was, I was like, is it on? Did you, did you hit the power button? And, you know, it's actually on, it's just really, really quiet now. So those things are important to me. Um, but Becky may have some other things that she likes as well. Oh, I was just going to say there's um, there's also um, certain brands. I don't know if we can mention them, but uh, sure. I mean, it's up to you. I mean, if they're, 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 try to get a sponsorship if you can. I I, I have literally tried every um, just about every brand of air fryer, and so we use the Kasori. We I also use the Ninja. Um, I have the Ninja um, dual basket. That actually comes with a built-in um, thermom, like a meat thermometer, which is really nice, or food thermometer. I guess you could use it for anything, but that's really a nice feature. If you don't have that built-in, that's probably one accessory 
out of everything that you can get to have with your air fryer that I would say you need is a um, instant read meat thermometer um, just to make sure your food's cooked properly. But um, so there's, there's little, it's really just depends on what you're going to use it for. And it's, you know, Jen and I, again, we're big, we're big promoters on, please just take it out of the box and, and play around with it. And we've had people time and time again, tell us like, Oh, I got one for Christmas last year and it's still sitting in the box out in the garage. And I'm like, well, how are you going to use it? If it's, you know, how, how do you <laughs> know? And I, I try to tell people like, think of it like the microwave. You know, when I was a kid, I'm going to age myself. My dad took us to Sears and, and we looked at these new microwaves that were just coming out and they were like seven, $800. And the guy did a demo on how to microwave water and heat it up. And, and I'm like, now everybody, you walk into any room or hotel room or office and there's a microwave and people have no problems working them, touching the buttons. I feel like the air fryer is the same thing. Like just it, get comfortable with it. It's not, it's not going to hurt you. <laughs> so, you know, press air fry the temperature and the time you got this. So I, we really want people to like have fun with it and um, yeah, just try and play around with it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now uh, I'll start, then we'll go with Don. Uh, and then for Becky and Jen, you're going to have to refer to the book. So I'm going to say, my favorite thing to cook in the air fryer, then Don, you can say either yours or your wife who will let you cheat and choose if there's something that you like from Lisa. But for Becky and Jen, you have to choose your favorite recipe out of the book. What's the must have recipe that you guys love or enjoy out of air fryer all day. Now for me, I, I hate to admit it, but my favorite thing to cook in the air fryer and like I haven't cooked a lot these potato wedges that I make and they are fantastic in an air fryer. And for some reason, I think they work better than deep frying or baking or any other method. The air fryer somehow, as we said, just spins it through perfectly in the convection oven style and they're great. Uh, so we'll go to you now, Don. Uh, my favorite, my favorite thing to cook in an air fryer, crab cakes. It oh, really nice, crispy on the top and the bottom. And then uh, that's, that's my favorite thing out of uh, the uh, air fryer. Well, just let me know the next time that you're making them, and I'll be happy to uh, stop by. <laughs> yeah, more than welcome. The, the secret is you have to get the smaller ones. You can't get the real big one. Okay. Uh, unless it's in the cookbook, and I haven't had a chance to read it 100%. But the small ones come out really nice, nice little snack. You put a little you know, tartar sauce or whatever you like with your crab cakes and go from there. That's good. All right, then we'll start with uh, Becky. What's the what's the one air fryer must have recipe in this group oh, in this book? Well, I have a couple of favorites. Can I say more than one? Sure, we'll let okay. you just because, because we like you. Because I just like I just can't like <laughs> I can't pick, but I love the stuffed mushrooms. Um, those are one of my favorites, uh, just because it's got the cheese and you can really put anything in that with the garlic. And then, um, I also, so I grew up loving crab legs and we, I would always have to, um, steam them. And these are pre-cooked crab legs, obviously, but you would steam them and then wait 15, 20 minutes. And then sometimes, you know, you'd still have to dig in there with a, with a fork and get it out. But 
I found in the air fryer, you can air fry crab legs for like three to five minutes and it takes all the moisture out of the shell to where they just snap right open and the meat comes out and you don't <sighs> steam them. Oh, you're speaking my language. It's you know, like, I, when I first tried, um, I only put a couple in because obviously crab legs are kind of pricey and I didn't want to waste them. <laughs> Definitely oh king God. crab legs at close to $40 a pound. Yeah. yeah. But these, I mean, they just snapped. I do the, the, um, not the king crab legs, the snow, snow. snow crabs. Yeah. And I did, I just made some last week actually. And it was like four to five minutes and all the moisture is pulled out of the shell. So mm, you just literally break them in half and the meat just comes right out and there's no waiting for the water to boil. I mean, it was crazy the first time I did it. And now that's probably my favorite thing to make. Wow. My husband's is steak, but for obvious reasons, like I'm seafood, he's, you know, he's the <laughs> surf and turf, you know, in one meal. But um, both of those things, we were just like, this is crazy how good this is in the air fryer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I, I will have to say, uh, Jen, you've got your work cut out. That was, uh, that was quite a description <laughs> that, uh, Becky gave. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you should let her go last because mine won't be near as impressive. But what I will tell you is the best thing that I make in the air fryer all the time. The recipe is also in the book. It's was been one of the most popular recipes on our website as well is chicken wings. Um, oh, so simple yeah. as can be, but absolutely amazing. And I'm even making them tonight. Like I love to make chicken wings in the air fryer. You cannot buy them anywhere at a restaurant to even touch the way that they come out of an air fryer. So they are absolutely amazing. Everything crispy on the outside and the meat is just tender and juicy and moist. And it is amazing. I love them and I make them often. So now Not is this as the crab legs, but oh no 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 don't do do not undersell yourself. I love I her chicken wings are pretty darn amazing. So yeah. I love those too. Yes, I are. I do love some uh, chicken wings. And is this the chicken wings that you're mentioning? Are these the ones that you put in the book? Yes, absolutely, and they are so easy to make. And, you know, there's a couple of tricks that you can use to crisp them up. My favorite thing is just to cook them at 380 for like the first 18 minutes and the last two minutes, just crank it up to 400. And oh my gosh, it really crisps up that skin. But that chicken on the inside is just amazing. Like they are a hundred percent every single time. I've never had wings bad out of the air fryer. Well, I'm going to be trying that. Now, there was a part in the recipe that says optional. I'm going to, since we have the experts online, should we use the avocado or olive oil cooking spray? Because I want it exactly the way you make it. I don't want anything optional. I want mandatory what's coming out of your kitchen. <laughs> so, so tonight in my kitchen, they're going to be made with olive oil. I mean, the best way to make these wings is once you cut up fresh wings, put them in a bag, a Ziploc bag, um, add the olive oil, some black pepper, garlic powder, maybe a little bit of onion powder if you want to, shake it up so they're coated, and then put them in the air fryer. Do it at 380 for 18 minutes, 400 for two minutes, and then once you pull them out, put your sauce on, and it is they are amazing every single time. All I know 
is that was the perfect combination for crab legs because crab legs and chicken wings, Don, I think I could die and go to heaven. Wouldn't you agree? I, I think so. I, I have some <laughs> crab legs at home, so I, I think that might be on uh, t tonight's uh, dinner menu. Look at that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, You're going to love them. There's, I mean, just put uh -huh. in one or two the first time you make them just to make sure like your air fryer, like timing wise. And then once you figure out, it's like, you know, four minutes or five minutes, you could do the rest of them. But I'm it, telling it, you, it, waiting what, that 15 minutes for that water to steam them or yeah, whatever yeah, was torture. Yeah. What, what temperature do you recommend the uh, air fryer to be at for the, for the legs? Um, I it's in the book, Don. I know. Well, I, I was going to say, I think I did 380. <laughs> I have to go back and check um, off the top of my head. I literally just made those the other day, too. I, I want to say it was 380, but I will double check. Yes. Uh, well, I'll, 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 I'll let's see. Here, entertain yourself. Give me one second. Let me flip through the book because okay. I have the book here. So you, uh, let's, it's 370. Oh. It was 370 for five to seven minutes. Okay. Oh, 370. All right. All right, you're all set, Don. You're all set yeah. now, Don. But I have to say, Rebecca and Jennifer, it was a joy talking to uh, both of you. That that was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm thrilled to be able to use my air fryer to do more than just uh, some uh, potato wedges now. <laughs> uh, air fryer all day, 120 tried and true recipes for family-friendly comfort food. That, that was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, share a website, social media, or anything like that before you go, please. Go ahead, Jen. Sure. You can find us uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Pinterest. We're at Air Frying Foodie, and our website is airfryingfoodie.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Have yourselves a great night. Thank, thank you for you. having us. It was nice thank you. talking with you. Bye-bye. Great talking to you. Thank you for the advice. <clears throat> They were just rocking and rolling, Don. I mean, they had uh, what they say, two point two point four million social media. Cat uh, had three million. Yeah, social media in the millions it makes me feel like a complete loser, doesn't it, Don? No, you ain't kidding. <laughs> I tell you what, though, uh, who, who would have thought about putting crab legs in the in the air fryer? I wouldn't have thought it. But do you know do you know one way you can feel like a winner, Don, in the Philadelphia area? Which, which way is that? If you want to feel like a winner, any day of the week, seven days, seven days a week, no matter what time of the year or, or day, take a walk down East Pass Yonk Avenue. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I agree 100%. I was just down there the other day walking down. I have a, a few customers down that way, and, uh, and the, the avenue has changed so much for the better. And in the last few years, uh, it's, it's a joy to walk down there and, and see all the new businesses that occupy that area now. I couldn't agree with you more. And they're uh, getting ready for their fantastic East Passion Restaurant Week. And we have the brand new executive director of uh, EPA Bid. It's East Passionk Association, I forget what it's called, but yeah. <laughs> she'll explain all of that. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca O'Leary, how's it going tonight, Rebecca? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is the East Passionk Business Improvement District. That's it. See, uh, I, uh, I, I missed the I part. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it's a pleasure uh, to meet you. Uh, we've had... Uh, 
the Improvement District on uh, many, many times in the past, but this is our first time uh, welcoming you because, of course, you are the brand new executive director. So congratulations on that title. Thank you so much, guys. I'd really, I'd love to hear, Don, you just said that you were walking down the avenue the other day. I might have seen you, but I don't know what you look like. Um, what, were some, what, what are some of your favorite places on the avenue, if I can ask? Um, well, I, I like going down to, uh, I go to a little Sicilian Italian club I like going down to. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a few other places where I get burgers and they have a nice little coffee shop. I don't mention the names of them, but that's okay. Uh, that I enjoy going to and, and, uh, relaxing don can't mention a name so his his customers don't feel left out <laughs> don can't let let his customers know he's uh patronage patronage the uh competition of course it's nice to be down there though you know it's a it's a diagonal corridor it's family friendly and it's fun for everybody. So you don't even have to go, you know, patronize the places. I'm, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you do. But even if you were just to walk the street, it's good to see old friends and new families. And like you said, the avenue has reinvented itself yet again. I mean, it does amaze you. Uh, I mean, I, I always date myself, but I, I'm sure Don can remember what was it. 20 years ago, maybe that's when the initial kickoff and transformation started because prior to that, there wasn't a whole lot going on down there. Uh, everything would close at five and the restaurants were, would suffer and struggle because there was no, no foot traffic down there. But now yeah. with the, it's a, a new regime that, are, that is in there. Uh, and, and a lot of it had to do with, uh, events and bringing everyone down. And it really turned into one of the hippest places in Philadelphia. Cause I would mm -hmm. say, uh, East Passion, Northern liberties, uh, they really took over the, I guess, hip uh, place to be throughout Philadelphia because, uh, for the longest time it was, it was South street and we're not saying anything negative about South street, but, it's not what it was. They're trying and they'll probably reinvent themselves again. Yeah. But those areas 10, 15, 20 years ago, which was always, hey, where are you going? And you're going here, there, or another place. Now the place where you, say, where are you going? East Passion is usually at the top of the list. Yeah, yeah, it is cool. And you know, so those events and all those things that you mentioned, um, those are put on by the Business Improvement District, which has been around for 22 years. So... You know, people say, well, what does the bid do? Well, the bid is, you know, who organizes all of those events. We get the bands, we get all the restaurants organized, we attract businesses to come down and lease the space. You know, this doesn't just happen always by osmosis. Um, it's, it's a lot of work. And uh, I'm really honored to be in the position as the executive director of the East Passion Bid because I grew up, I grew up in the Hopkinson house. And I grew up, which is on the top of Pashunk Avenue, just a couple blocks when it ends at South Street. And, uh, you know, my uncle was in the wholesale trade. And in the 70s, we would go into his, uh, we would take the Pinto from uh, uh, Broad and Pashunk and go up and make all the deliveries of clothes that came from one place or another and would, you know, wind up into some of the retail stores on uh, on Pashunk Avenue. And that's, that's when it was a, a corridor with retail and a lot of, you know, everyday stores, because there were, there was a time when that, 
it was a popular avenue. When the 80s came, it had a downhill turn for like 10, 15 years. The 90s, it saw a couple restaurants here and there. But when the bid was started in 20, in 2002, I think is when it really started to take off. And, and it is the restaurants that have carried the avenue for, for as long as it has. Definitely, definitely, and uh, and that's exactly uh, what me and Don were saying. And twenty years time, it's been quite quite a turnaround, and you've done a fantastic job. But uh, we've got Restaurant Week coming up, and usually Restaurant Week is one of those weeks that uh, restaurants love because it brings in a lot of patrons, but it does bring an additional amount of crowds because it is so popular. Mm-hmm. What? What can we look forward to this year that everybody's chomping at the bit to try and uh, the promotions? Well, you know, we've got uh, we've got a couple new restaurants on the avenue and one of them is Pizza Out of Pizzeria. They're fantastic guys. They're brothers. They're Italian. They're fun. Their crust is made from sourdough. They have something on uh, for, for restaurant week that is a seared ahi tuna over gnocchi. And I mean, it is spectacular. I was really so impressed. It's not just a pizza place. This is like top notch Italian cuisine. That is one place. Another place is a, what I consider a stalwart of some sort, is a, which is Townsend. I mean, it has been there for, it's closed for a period of time, but it, it is, it's, I feel like Townsend has been there for a, a long period, even despite that period of when it was closed. It is an excellent restaurant that is just so elegant, yet you can, you can go to the bar and have a cocktail by yourself and have a snack. They've got a wonderful happy hour, but for restaurant week, you know, just go and get a reservation. If you've never been to Townsend, go now because you will rarely get a chance to go there and spend just $55 for three courses. And it is really uh, just out of this world. Uh, We also have Ochos Rios, which is a relatively new Jamaican restaurant. And Lisa prepares the most amazing jerk chicken and rum punch that I've ever had. So like those are three very distinct different places that just kind of right off the bat, I would say you could go there on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and still have, you know, 10 more places to go before the end of restaurant week on March 6th. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I enjoy about that area is like you said, you could probably visit a different restaurant every single day for at least a month, month and a half and Mm -hmm. not repeat yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, there are, we have 25 restaurants on restaurant week and there, there are still other restaurants who for whatever reason, you know, are not participating in restaurant week, but you should, you know, if you're interested in food and if you like dining out the range of experience along East Pass Yonk Avenue, we definitely have something for everybody. And, and there's one thing that I believe to be true. And it is, it is, a, it is an authentic, there's no pretension on, on East Pass Yonk Avenue. You know, we, we've got a lot, we still have, we've got the upholstery guy we've, next to an, a Brazilian uh, bakehouse. We still have Mancuso's is next door to my office. You know, we just lost like one of the best tailors, but he's next door to the bagel shop. It, it is just really a mix for the young and the old. 
We need a couple more night spots, but that doesn't mean you can't have a late night cocktail at any one of the restaurants like Pistola's Del Sur or Le Vertu. You've got great bar scenes there. Um, I love it because they're open late and I work late. I'm there until 10 o'clock at night sometimes. I can still get a nightcap. Um, I can't promise you that you'll get a restaurant week menu at 10 o'clock, but uh, <laughs> you know, any, any other time you can get a great drink and a great snack. Um, what else can I tell you? Well, it's it's year round too because I mean not only do you have restaurant week coming up, you guys do tons of holiday themed events during the holiday seasons, and even in the spring, mm -hmm. they'll be kicking off flavors of the avenue, which is extremely yes. popular. Yes, it, we lost a couple of years there with COVID, and last year was just a, a you know a one natural disaster after the next. But flavors is uh, coming up this year on April twenty eighth. We are going to have full avenue participation and we are going to have entertainment and we have craft and art vendors. We have performers. We're going to have a neighborhood sing-along. I mean, it's like, it's, it's spectacular what the avenue can do when it comes together. So, and a car show, don't you, you have an annual car, car show. show? Well, that's a, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. Last year was the first year when we came back post COVID we did not have a car show. We What we did have was an amazing success, and it was the inaugural year of the East Passyunk Music Festival. Oh. So that, um, and people were upset that there wasn't a car show, but let me tell you, the people that came out for the Music Fest were out, just, they were, they were amazed. And I had just arrived on the job, and they said to me, okay, Rebecca, it's July, you're gonna produce a music festival by September. And I did, and I did it with the help of Pete Spina and all of my friends on the Avenue. We had like 40 bands perform. We had restaurants come out and just knock it out of the park. The rain did not come until the very end of the day. It was amazing, but I also love cars and I would love to find a way to bring the car show back. So, you know, don't hold me to it, but also don't hold your breath. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a final <laughs> Never <way>. say never. <laughs> yes. Yes. But, uh, but Flavors is definitely happening. And um, either the car show and the music festival and then Fall Fest and Deck the Avenue, it's, uh, we have year-round events. So go to visiteastpassionk.com. And if you want to go to the um, Restaurant Week site, go to visiteastpassionk.com dot restaurant week and you can find all that those details there so now don didn't want to uh disclose where he's going so he didn't upset any of his clients mm -hmm. but we're going to ask you what's your favorite places to go on oh nice geez you know come on now <laughs> um well let's see uh i'm going to spread the love because i do love everybody and and the I, I am with the consensus that the burger at River Twice is amazing. Now, River Twice is a very special, unique restaurant because it is only a, a prefix course uh, menu all the time. They're not in restaurant week, but their burger is worth going to 
you're going to have three other courses when you get a burger, but it's worth it. So that is a very unique and it's a very special place to me. And my go-to is Laver 2 because it is across mm. the street from me. And they make a delicious annulati, which is sometimes on the menu, sometimes not. But their new uh, chef, Andrew, uh, has brought on a, a, a a meat dish that is braised in red wine, and it is absolutely fantastic. It is called, uh, it's a piposo. Uh, it's a wine-raised uh, braised beef um, with Lancaster County polenta. It is outstanding. And what else do I love? Stogie Joe's. You can't ever go wrong with Stogie Joe's. It is Crab gravy. Meat, you know, crab gravy, meatloaf. Their, their sandwiches are incredible. They have a fantastic restaurant week menu. I think for $30, you can get steak or shrimp with pasta, you know, appetizer, dessert. It's always a great deal. And it, that's it's, it's a fun spot. You can't go wrong at Stogie Joe's. Um, the Dutch is also an incredible neighborhood spot. They have been solid with their breakfast program, but their dinner program is, is terrific. Adam, their manager, is solid, as is Lee and Kevin, everybody in the kitchen. But I love that space. On the corner and the windows open in the springtime, you can sip a gimlet and just watch people go by and look at the fountain. It's a great people-watching space, and the food is delicious. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have to say, uh, Rebecca, it was such uh, a joy to get to know you and uh, talk to you for the first time. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we look forward to all the new events going on, as you said, the music festival. And uh, please keep us posted of everything else going I on on East Passion. Definitely. Next time you're on the avenue, you guys stop in. I'm right next door to Mancuso's. You can't miss me. Will do. Have yourself a great night. Bye bye. Thank you. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye, bye. All right. Well, Don, we're going from one guest uh, to the next. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, cakes. Have yourself a uh, little bit of cake to have a wonderful program. And it's Natalie Side Surf. Is that, is that how you spell it? <laughs> it not spell it. <laughs> it's been a long night, Natalie. <laughs> well, actually, it's spelled uh, S-E-R-F instead of you. So people always ask me about that. It's funny that you mentioned the spelling. But it is side surf, yes. <laughs> uh, you are also known as the queen of cake. I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get a lot of cake names. Uh, cake Lady. You're the Cake Lady. But yeah, Queen of Cake, I've heard too. Yeah, you're a renowned cake artist, a founder of Side Surf Cakes, and uh, you deal with hyper realism in cakes. Tell us yes. about that. Yeah. So um, when I was in college, uh, I actually studied hyper realistic art. So it's it's a thing with typically more traditional uh, materials. So you're using clay and things like that. And paintings. It's basically when you see a a photo or a painting. It, or excuse me, when you see a painting, and it looks like it's a photo. So what I decided, um, this was over ten years ago. Uh, I was like, I wonder if I could do hyper realistic cakes. Uh, could I could I trick people into thinking that these cakes were different objects? And I have been doing that for a very long time. <laughs> I mean, it's that's the thing that it's crazy how realistic some of these cakes look these days. It, it it's truly an art form. 
Yeah, and I, I think that the the coolest part is that there's so many different materials that you can use to to make things look like different um, textures. So like uh, I can make an edible plastic and really it's just gelatin. So there's just all these different things you can do. And it's a lot of fun trying to kind of prank and trick people. <laughs> <laughs> now you have gained, listen to this, Don. I mean, uh, we thought when we were uh, talking to Kat and she told us that she had 3 million followers and then we're talking yeah. to Rebecca and Jennifer, they had 2 million followers. Natalie said, let me drop the microphone because she has gained more than 10 million followers across her social media platforms. Good golly and congratulations. Incredible. Thank yeah. you so much. I'm actually getting really close to 6 million on YouTube. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> that is amazing. And you have appeared on various cooking series uh, on Food Network, Netflix, Discovery Plus, and uh, you've got products that are upcoming edible clay. That sounds yes. interesting. Now I'm I can eat Play-Doh? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm so excited about it. It really does have a similar uh, texture and feel to Play-Doh, honestly. But uh, basically, it's it's uh, modeling chocolate, but it's my own version of modeling chocolate. In a lot of my cakes, that is what that outside layer is. So you can make you can use this stuff to make something that is insanely realistic, or you can kind of just mess around with it. And like you know, even your kids can play with it, and you can just uh, create little sculptures and then eat them. So it, I'm really excited about this product. Yeah. I mean, and it goes on and on. I mean, you've worked with uh, individuals such as Mr. Beast, Willie Nelson, uh, many other musicians, celebrities. Who's been a dream come true to work with? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, as far as um, as far as like, I've done some pretty cool stuff. I think that the one thing that I thought was really fun, um, this was many years ago, but um, it was when um, the show, you, you remember Breaking Bad, right? Yes. Uh, I also make bust cakes. So cakes that look like uh, people, like a traditional bust sculpture, only they're cakes. Okay. And uh, I was actually able to make one for a commercial on AMC that aired during The Walking Dead to promote, um, you know, um, it was uh what is it? better call Saul. Okay. And the care I know there's a lot of names going on, but the character that I chose to actually sculpt was Mike Armentrout. So he's in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He was the bald guy that had that really intense like vibe, if you remember the show. Um, but I got to make a cake of him and I was in the commercial, and that was awesome. But then what was really sweet was he went on Conan. Um, to promote Better Call Saul, and they actually talked about the cake, and then he gave me this really nice, like, thank you for making this cake, and it, it was just a really nice experience, so that was something that I thought was really cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean... a nice shout-out, right? <laughs> you didn't have to do that. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and uh, not, not only is your career exploding, and you've got this edible cake coming up, first-time mother as well. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've got about a month left. It's been um, it's been a little difficult trying <laughs> trying to make these intense cakes while I'm pregnant, but 
uh, I'll be back to like really going going hard with it uh, once she's born. So now, <laughs> was that the reason for this edible clay? Because you were like, you know what, the kid's going to eat the darn thing anyway. I'm as well. <laughs> I know she can just here you go you can play with this and then eat it Honestly, I'm, I'm really excited about that I'm like uh my husband also uh is part of you know side surf cake studio so he's helping with editing and doing all this other stuff and we always talk about that I'm like it's so exciting that we'll be able to have a kid to like you know kind of have fun with it and enjoy the cakes together and have her play around and see what she's interested in I might make some uh you know, she might inspire some of my future cakes. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> What's been the well, double question? What's been the cake that really blew you away that when you were done, you were like, holy moly, that's amazing. I can't believe I did that. And as well, what's the one that was a bear to make that it was so difficult? Maybe even you just you almost gave up. I would have to say um, my the cake that I was really surprised by uh, was a cake. And this is going to sound kind of funny, but it's an onion. <laughs> I know it sounds goofy. It's just it's it's just an onion. But when I worked on that cake, um, I was trying out like new. I was experimenting and trying really hard to make an edible version of the um, onion skin. Okay. And, I started, I used wafer paper and uh, I, you know, I put the cake together and as I'm working on it, I have no idea if it's going to happen, if it's going to actually come together and look realistic. But once I saw it, I was like, I pulled that off and and I was so excited about it because it really like opened the doors. It got me really excited to make more cakes and it opened the uh, doors to like experimenting even more with different materials. It just, it was, it was inspirational, that particular cake. So I was very excited about that one. Um, one that I had a little bit of a hard time, and when I say, like, every time I make this style cake, I have a hard time, because it's really difficult, but uh, I would say my selfie cake. Uh, so I made a self-portrait cake. <laughs> I think that, that that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine. I, <laughs> and the reason is um, because you can, like, you could literally, like, I held it up next to myself. So I had to get it as perfect as I possibly could. <laughs> Otherwise, the internet is going to tell me the truth, you know? <laughs> you know? That doesn't look like you. That's horrible. But I managed to pull it off. So that one was really hard, but I also loved it. <laughs> but do you th how do you even – do you say, oh, I, I need a little bit more icing on my left cheek? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, you have no idea. I had a mirror. I'm measuring my nose. <laughs> What's the circumference of my nostril? <laughs> You, you do that every Saturday, don't you, Don? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a weird, it's, it's definitely it's a weird getting, experience. Getting to look this good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, as we've mentioned over and over, you're, you're so accomplished. You had two seasons of Texas, uh, Texas Cake House, uh, also on uh, shows such as Nailed It. Tell us about some upcoming 2024 projects. You know, um, I'm I'm like I said earlier, I'm getting really close to the six million subs on uh, YouTube, and I'm uh, I think I'm at over three and a half billion views just on YouTube. Woo! So really? Yeah, I'm like it's just like people are really enjoying it, and my channel's growing, and I'm just like I'm really excited to try some new things uh, on there because it's really the most open 
opportunity I have. <laughs> you know, like I can yes. do whatever I want, test things out, see how people react, see what they like and what they don't. So I'm just going to kind of go utilize it while I can and hope it lasts a long time. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Well, I got to say, uh, we're not going to keep you long. We, 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 I, I personally know uh, how my wife was feeling with that final uh, month to come. So uh, I know it's a tiring time. Uh, uh, you're, you're busier than ever with all these projects and uh, uh, things to do and your YouTube channel. It was a thrill to talk to you. And I know uh, Don was excited to talk to you as well. Uh, but please, Natalie Sidesurf, uh, share a social media, uh, website, YouTube channel. Mention it uh, before you go. Yes. Um, so I have everything. I have a brand new website up. So it's sidesurfcakes.com. That's where we have new merch. And we're going to be posting about the edible clay and all the things that I've got coming up. Um, so that's Sidesurf spelled with an E, S-I-D-E-S-E-R-S. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It, it was a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Have a good night. Good night. You too. Yeah. Now, what goes well with uh, cake, Don? Uh, nice scoop of gelato. Woo-wee! You're not kidding. Uh, and that's why we're going to be joined by Galen Thomas. Uh, he uh, is the owner of cloud cups and is known as one of the top gelato makers in america how about that i'm gonna have to go down and try it to definitely let him know if it is true <laughs> how's it going tonight going great thanks for having me in it is our pleasure now uh on top of running cloud cups, uh, you are in a big competition, my friend, aren't you? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a big deal in the gelato world. Um, um, and the gelato world masters challenge uh, tomorrow in King of Prussia. Uh, I was uh, one of 11 chefs picked in the, on the East coast to compete in this competition. And um, um I'm hoping I do, I do well. <laughs> now, I, I I know you can't talk about the flavor because you're not going to show your cards to the competition. Not just yet. <laughs> but tell us, like, how the prep is, the uh, the competition. Like, that, that's got to be a lot of stress. Uh, do, do you bring a whole team? Is it only you who are allowed in? I, I'm very intrigued. Aren't you, Don? Something like Can I that. come in to be a flavor <laughs> tester? Doesn't come easy. I mean, unfortunately, this event is an industry-only event. It's not open to the public. Oh, Don's in the industry, aren't I'm you, Don? Yeah, I definitely am. <laughs> They'll supply all the coffee. <laughs> I set up an espresso station for you. <laughs> well, I mean, you might be able to come by then. It's that is that Rosito Bazzani uh, tomorrow? Uh, okay. Yeah, I know exactly where it's at. Great people. Yeah, yeah, they, they they help me with all my equipment and stuff too. So, they're they're holding the East Coast Regional uh, event for this uh, Gelato Challenge, and you know, there's a couple of flavors that I w that didn't make the cut that I could tell you about that I was you know in between. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. So, um, I make an orange cream sickle, really nostalgic. I make a custard from scratch um, with a fresh pressed orange juice sorbet. And I mean, it was really just brings back memories when you when you bite into it. And uh, I was going to make a blueberry mascarpone, 
mascarpone cream cheese with some um some blueberries that I cook down with some you know some sugar and stuff and I, I, I fold that into the to the, the batch base and that's a one of my top selling flavors at the shop and I mean it was it was tough picking out this flavor I'm gonna tell you that for sure I had well, had a those all sound like winners to me didn't they Don yeah sure did <laughs> my my my, uh, my most favorite gelato flavor is pistachio. Yeah, I'm, I'm making an amazing pistachio. You got to come check mine out. Well, that me. brings yeah. us to our next question. Then <laughs> tell us about Cloud Cups. Where where are we going to come check you out? Where can we get this amazing product? That's a million dollar question right now. <laughs> <laughs> um. Starting this week, we'll be launching our our, our pints on uh, Uber and uh, nationwide shipping. So really, yeah, you'll definitely be able to pick it up that way. <laughs> um, we got some big things rolling out. Can't really say too much right now, but we're working on a, a new great space for people to come out, be able to have a lot more flavors and stuff. And we'll be we'll be announcing something real soon, but just not just yet. Well, as we said, I mean, gelato and espresso go hand in hand. I'm just, if you need to talk to Don, you let us know. Now we might have to put something together, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> we need a couple of affogados going, right? Yeah, yeah, we definitely do. <laughs> Not that many people know what that is. You want to explain that to them? So uh, affogato is a, uh, a shot of espresso with a scoop of gelato. It's a, it's, it's a nice after-dinner uh, treat that you can get, and it's, you know, Definitely set the night off right. Yeah. No wonder why you, you enjoy that so much, John. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you get the sweetness of the gelato and, and the, uh, I won't say bitterness, but the, the, the flavor of the espresso and, and the combination is, is, especially when they start to melt and, and they start to get funky together. <laughs> yeah. Is sure. that really nice? Oh. Well, I, I do think that is a match made in heaven. See, I didn't know how well you two would work together. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, out of everything that you make, uh, what's your favorite color? Um, color, flavor? Uh, honestly, I think it's the orange creamsicle. Okay. I like, I like, um, I like how the light sorbet mixed with the creamy custard all in one scoop. It's just nice and refreshing. Now, with the competition, you said it's eleven people on the East Coast. Yeah, there's some, there's some, there's some uh, big names. The Fiore is going to be there. Uh, I think Dolce Vita is going to be there. I can't remember everybody, but trying not to really worry about who else is going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> you can only worry about yourself. Yeah, for sure. So for anyone who's not aware, what is the difference between gelato and ice cream? Because a lot of people confuse gelato and ice cream or just consider it the same thing. Yeah, so um, gelato is going to be actually it's 30% it's less fat than ice cream. So first of all, it's just a lot healthier dessert for you. Um Gelato is going to have a lot more creamier, uh, dense flavor. It has a lot more air whipped into it. Um, it, it. It's served at a higher temperature, so when you when you eat and drop it, when you eat it, it's a, it's going to melt right into your mouth, and it, it just packs a lot more flavor than ice cream. And it's uh, I and I do like that. It the gelato does seem to tend itself 
better to flavor combinations than ice cream does, in my opinion. Yeah, because you're making it with you're making it with milk instead of cream. Okay, so that's the reason being. Uh, also, I'm not trying to promote other people's businesses, but I did have a gelato this past weekend that was very impressive. And I'm going to recommend it to you because I know sometimes people in the industry like to go visit others in the industry if they're not familiar with them or if they're just doing something out of the ordinary. I was up in East Stroudsburg skiing over the weekend, and there's a gelato place called Llama Gelato in East Stroudsburg. The gentleman is from Peru. So what he's doing is he's taken Peruvian and exotic flavors and fruits mm. and making them into his gelato flavors. And the product was phenomenal. So if you want to go on a gelato <laughs> <laughs> expedition, hey, right. <laughs> exploration mission, yeah. It's not a bad place to try and talk gelato with someone in the industry. <laughs> no, I hear that for sure. Definitely, I, I've definitely, I definitely uh, patron a lot of other gelato shops, so I'll definitely add it to my list. So, what got you into the gelato business? Um, it, it was a it was a long road. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, originally, um. Originally, I actually wanted to make a CBD gelato. Okay. Um, and that's, I, well, I really wanted to make an edible, uh, so to speak, of something that wasn't being done. And I, I landed on landed on the, the frozen dessert. I, I, I took a trip to California, um, took a train ride. I, I, I drove from Sacramento all the way down to L.A. I visited about 80 dispensaries, and I saw nobody had a freezer. I'm like, well. Clearly, I'm going to be make a frozen dessert. Um, I kind of didn't know exactly where to start with. Was uh, end up doing like a co-packing situation with one of my friends from Howard, uh, Sierra, Georgia. Uh, eventually, I end up starting making it myself. I went to gelato school with Carpet Johnny. Um, I kind of uh, was taken under the shoulder of one of my gelato professors, Baron Gossocker. He kind of like really showed me the works uh the the ropes and he like he he went beyond above and beyond teaching me you know what real gelato was so you know i kind of like owe it to him on being able to like build my business and create a, the brand cloud cups what it is now so i've just been making gelato ever since and we have over like 115 flavors now. <laughs> wow. wow. 115? You put Baskin Robbins to shame. <laughs> so in Fishtown, we were rotating flavors weekly. We would do 12 flavors. You can get it in a cup. You can get it on the cone. You can get it on our uh, one of our specialty items called a Cloud Nini, which is a freshly baked pastry that we cut in half. You put the gelato in the middle. It gets hot on the outside, cold on the inside. It's like one of the most heavenly treats you can have. Um, yeah, so we've just been chugging along, making this good gelato. When you know people have been taking 
you know, catching we've been catching people's eye. The Today Show ranked us top forty small best shops in the country, and we've just been doing our thing. <laughs> congratulations! Yeah, congratulations! Thank you. Oh, that's a lot of flavors. Oh my god! <laughs> and how did you come up with all these flavors? It was it like customers said, "Hey, do this," or did you just? <laughs> spin spin the uh spice wheel and spin one <laughs> choose one for the week so before the health department told me to kind of like pick an option like you're either going to not do it or you're going to do regular gelato so people had already been asking me to just like make my flavors because they like really just enjoyed my my, my stuff so like just different things that I've seen. Maybe people give me like an idea, but like I just kind of just create what I see and what I feel. And I always take recommendations, and those how I come up with even more flavors. Wow. I mean, it's impressive. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's uh, I couldn't even imagine trying it. It would take all day just to, just to name all the flavors. <laughs> So somebody goes, well, I'm not really sure what I want. Uh, can you name all the flavors you have? Uh, well, I can say there's 116 for sure because the flavor I'm making at the competition tomorrow is a brand new one as well. Wow. So you're going with a new one for the cut. That, that takes guts. You're not even going with a tried and true for the championship. You're just like, boom, throwing it down. How do you like me now? Yeah, that's the first time I did that. <laughs> Try me. I was just telling my fiance today, I was like, you know, I usually just like, I just get these flavors right on the first try. Like... <laughs> It would be great if you went there and just had plain vanilla because, <laughs> you know, everybody's going to be doing something wild and be like, listen, a winner's a winner, y'all. <laughs> yeah. You have a good story behind that vanilla. It might win. <laughs> you ain't lying. Yeah, if, 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 if you had to, like, get the vanilla bean pod directly from Madagascar itself and... <laughs> The rarest vanilla bean in the world. You ain't lying. <laughs> but I have to say it was a lot of fun uh, talking to you. Uh, we're Please, please, please keep us up to date with what's happening with uh, Cloud Cups because we want to know uh, what the next venture is. As you mentioned, uh, you'll be able to get them nationwide. Uh, but also... Best of luck tomorrow, my friend. We will certainly be rooting for you. you. Uh, let us know if you win. We want you yeah. to win the, the top prize of top gelato maker in America. And before you go, share your social media, website, anything like that, especially how we can purchase your product nationwide. Oh, I did meant to meant, fail to mention that we had just launched gelato-scented candles. So... Even when you can't get our gelato, you can smell our gelato. So, <laughs> <laughs> even if you can't get me, you can smell me. <laughs> we have everything available at our website, cloudcupgelato.com. The same handles on IG. And uh, hopefully, I win tomorrow. Well, I can tell you what flavor I have. Yeah, good luck tomorrow. Definitely, definitely. Best of luck, pal. Yeah. Wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Yeah, I tell, appreciate tell, it. Tell Greg at uh, Rosanna Bazzini I said hello. 
I will for sure. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and make sure remember with the, the, the gelato and ice, the gelato and espresso. Yeah, no, let Don know. Don, nah, I gotta get your contact. Email me so we can. Make I'll, it I'll 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 text it to you, Galen. I appreciate it. Right. Thank no you, problem. Galen. Thank Have you. a good one. All right. Well, going worldwide, and you know what's funny, Don, is we were just talking about llama gelato. Yeah. And how that gentleman has an amazing uh, gelato place, and he's from Peru. So who better to talk about Peru than Robert Bradley, the author of Eating Peru? Uh, it's a wonderful book. And uh, how's it going tonight, Robert? Oh, let, let's let's say let me let me let, let me un uh, let's have the producer unmute him. Uh, let's try that one now. <laughs> Going to have to fire yeah. this producer. Yeah, How's it yeah. going, Robert? Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. <laughs> Apologize yeah. about that. This producer, Don, I mean, I had yeah, about no. enough of him. Yeah, we got to find a new one. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's fine. I don't mind being muted every once in a while. <laughs> but uh, as we mentioned, you're the author of Eating Peru. Really, really uh, uh, great book. One of the things that really uh, blew me away, I guess I shouldn't be surprised after I talked about how great that Peruvian gelato was, uh, is Peru, let's see if you knew this as well, Don. Peru was the number one food destination in the world voted for eight consecutive years in a row. Now, that's impressive. That's impressive. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it, it's, it's pretty incredible, I mean, what's happening in Peru. I mean, for me, I, you know, I was, I was in the, I sold wine for years in New York and then I went back and got a PhD. I went down to Peru and I worked in a very remote part of Northeastern Peru. And then I started going down to the coast and this was back in 2005 to 2010. And I tried the food and I'm just, this is amazing. And I just couldn't believe that you know, it just wasn't more well known than it was, and now Peru Peruvian cuisine has gotten its recognition. With sort of the the summation is Virgilio Martinez's restaurant in in Lima, you know, Central is the number one restaurant in the world. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, I mean, it's it took a little while for mm -hmm. word to get here. But I know even in the Philadelphia, South Jersey region, about six months ago, uh, a Peruvian restaurant opened here. And uh, I, I can't think of any other ones around the area that's true, full-blown Peruvian food. So it's slowly getting its way into the mainstream and for good reason. No, it should. And, and by the way, I don't know if you know this, but I grew up in Trenton, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. So, I so, I, I so, so you were on the right side of the line because right. Trent, I, I, Trenton is really the borderline of where the greatest breakfast meat of all time, scrapple and pork oh, roll, pork exists. Roll. Yeah, Taylor's pork roll. Yeah, <laughs> I grew up eating that. But I mean, I, I grew up in Chambersburg, actually, the Italian neighborhood. Yeah. Oh, uh, you're and, trying to butter Don up, aren't you? Talking about the Italian neighborhood no, now. No, but I mean, it's funny because I had the same reaction when I went to the coast of Peru and I get fresh bread. And I'm like, wait a minute, this stuff reminds me 
of when I was a kid. I mean, you know, everything was was really fantastic. The only thing that I wrote about in my book is I'm not so impressed with is Peru does have Italian cuisine and it's mostly from Northern Italy. And some of the stuff I grew up with was better than the Italian cuisine. But the, <laughs> the, the Nikkei cuisine, the Japanese cuisine, the Chinese cuisine is just off the charts. I mean, it's it's incredible to me. I mean, the only thing that I really loved with the Italian cuisine in Peru was the fruitcake, the panettone, panettones, you know, from, um, you know, and, that, and that's something that's more traditional in northern Italy. But, um, you know, when, when I try some, you know, a little bit less so for me. I mean, you know, the sauces and everything else, because, you know, I grew up, I grew up pretty spoiled. I mean. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, to Don, that'd be Don's favorite place to grow up around the Trenton area. But also, uh, one of the main reasons of uh, Peru's great ability to bring in some amazing foods is the coast. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Peru has probably the greatest maritime bounty on the face of the earth. And what you have happening is you've got a Humboldt current, which comes up from Antarctica, and it hugs the coast of Western South America till it gets to about Ecuador, northern Peru, and then it goes out to the Galapagos Islands. This is cold, dark water, which produces incredible bounty of fish. And, and Peru just, yeah, Peru has gone to war over their, you know, their coastal fishing rights. They've gone to war with Chile, Chile over it. You know, they've, they, they've, you know, they're, they're very, very protective as they should be. And off the coast of Peru, you also have the Peruvian Trench, which is very deep water. So you have a bounty that's coming in, you know, every day fish are being caught there, which is some of the most amazing in the world. I mean, it's just incredible. And that's the reason that's the, the major reason like Peruvian ceviche is the best in the world because just the plethora of fish. Yeah. I mean, can't get any fresher. That's for sure. No. And, uh, and when you have that, that amount, but also the history, the amount of history from the uh, uh, Chicha and Pisco, uh, the, it goes back so long ago, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, chicha is, you know, corn beer that's been made in pre-Columbian times. And I'm actually, you know, I did my PhD at Columbia University in New York. I mean, uh, you know, chicha beer has been made for thousands of years. Um, there's different styles of it. Uh, you know, it's, it's a really great grog. It's used in a lot of the traditional dishes. Pisco is actually aguardiente of uva. So it's like a... Uh, it, it's a great brandy. It's like guapa, but it's not made from the must. It's made from actual grape juice. You know, it's actually made from wine, which would be impossible to make in Europe. And it's still, the Peruvian Pisco is an underrated beverage. I mean, it's just absolutely, you know, incredible. So, you know, and it's been made there since the end of the 16th century. So the, the first production of Pisco has been about 1580. Wow. That's crazy, um, isn't it, Don? Yeah, That's well, crazy. it really is when you start thinking like in the West, when they first started to make any sort of distilled spirit would be around the 16th century. I mean, most of the earliest stuff happened in the Netherlands or the Low Countries. 
But um, Peruvian Pisco, considering it was a colony of Spain, is very, very early. And um, it's, you know, if you, if you pay a lot of money for a bottle of grappa, you should invest in a bottle of Pisco because, you know, Pisco, especially the, the Piscos, you know, that are, you know, that, that are aromatical, that are made from particular types of grapes. But um, are you, you know, it's very hard to get them, you know, in the United States. You can get them probably in Miami here. I'm in Texas now, South Texas, so we have a few, you know, uh, offerings. But it, there's not a lot of it made. So, yeah. And, 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 and talking about history, um, we're going to see if you knew this part, Don, because it's very important to one of your favorite products, how the tomato went from a wild plant to it being highly cultivated and a delicious crop in Italy. Yeah, that, that's amazing, actually. I mean... Did you know that, Don? There are, there are examples of, like, pre-Columbian people in South America that actually were eating tomatoes, but they never cultivated them. That, that's the strangest thing. And most of the tomatoes, the theory is that they were tree tomatoes, maybe in Ecuador. So you've got these little yellow tomatoes that are up, you know, they, they might have eaten them, but they were never part of a common diet. And then Columbus comes over. He takes the tomato back. You know, it gets to Spain and everybody's like, yeah, okay. Gets to, <laughs> it gets to Italy, boom. You know, it just becomes like, well, the Italians, turn, you know, they, they, they took a South American, you know, or a new world like crop and turned it into something, you know, that's so delicious. I mean, look at, you know, look at Italian tomatoes today. I mean, they just, you know, they, they just ran with it. Let's put it that way. And <laughs> it's, it's really funny because most of the tomatoes that come back to Peru or Roma tomatoes. I mean, that's what you'll see all over the market. Um, you know, it's it's just I would love to. I always thought, you know, when I retire, I'm going to go to the coast of Peru in the desert. I'm going to start doing my own heirloom tomatoes and see what I come up with, because that would be like a lot of fun. I think you should write a letter of thanks to the Peruvian people, Don, because without that tomato. <laughs> no, 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 we kind of perfected it. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. No, it, it, that's, that's, the, that's the truth. I mean, it, it's really funny because, you know, in the pre-Columbian world, they domesticated so many crops. I mean, pre-Columbian people did not. You know, as far as domesticating animals, you know, they were all they had was the yama, the guinea pig, and I think ducks. That's about it. But as far as crops, there's a huge amount of crops that were, you know, domesticated. Not the tomato. I can't figure it out. I, I don't understand that one. <laughs> well, a lot, a lot of people thought that the tomatoes were poisonous. Yeah, nightshades. Uh, yeah, yeah, nightshades. Right, yeah. right. So maybe they, you know, just ate it sparingly. Well, you know, I mean, that they, they, they did or maybe that. they're like me and just they can't handle the uh, acidic nature of it. it. Gave them heartburn. They're like, well, nah, they, forget no, that. Good tomatoes. No, but, but they're low and acidic. But they did that with potatoes and potatoes. Like you know, we only really have one variety of potato that's all over the world right now. But they're still domesticating potatoes in like Bolivia that have toxins in them. 
So they were wow. used to the toxin thing. I mean, I just, I, I just don't know why that didn't happen. I mean, it's kind of, kind of crazy. I mean, or somehow or another, tomatoes got to, you know, Italy, and it was initially, from what I mostly read, it was the monks and the clergy that started to play around with them, and they just did a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, they did perfect it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know. I, I, you know, I tell my kids, even in South Texas, I get San Marzano tomatoes and I still got the, the old school, like Jersey side of me. So <laughs> I, I, try to, I try to teach them how to cook Italian here. Um, and uh, I don't know, they, they sort of get it. So, so since you're from Chambersburg, who had the best tomato pie? De Lorenzo's. <laughs> from my house. I, I grew up on Liberty Street. Yeah, see, Lorenzo had a. I think it was Jody Restaurant. It's I know that, that it didn't have a it didn't have a bathroom in it because they were grandfathered in. Yeah, it, you know, I, I love D. Lorenzo's. I could walk across Villa Park and I was there. You know. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, none of their none of their pizzas were round. They were all different shapes depending how it came out of the oven. Who cares? I mean, the yeah. the, the, bre the bread was perfect. I mean, as long as it tastes good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the flavor was I mean, phenomenal. Yeah, I, um, I put a I put a chapter in my book actually on you know like pizza in Peru and there's some incredible pizzerias in the Sacred Valley if you go to Machu Picchu and I think a lot of that had to do with um, the adobe ovens because very early on um, you know the uh, there was wheat all over the place according to a chronicler Ciesa de Leon who's very very precise and famous. He was a soldier who recorded a lot of things. By 1550, there were a lot of wheat, there was wheat all over Peru. And by that time, they were already making bread in adobe ovens. So there's some really good pizzerias. I mean, there's a couple of places, one in the town below uh, Machu Picchu, Aguas Calientes, which is owned by a couple of guys from Naples. And they also own a place in um, uh, Cusco. And, you know, they're, they're good. I mean, they're real good, you know. So it's like old school. It's like I'm going back home. <laughs> and and yeah, well, the, the Adobe ovens are just like the uh, the brick oven pizzas that they yeah. have in, in Italy. Yeah. They yeah, no. high temperature, thin yep. crust. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you you got it. Now, you got talk, it. talking about Machu Picchu, that, I mean, that – that's quite a windy road that was crazy to go up when I went up there. I went up via bus and it was like, woof, woof. Now you, you, you gotta walk up. I mean, that's the whole fun part. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I'm a city boy at heart. I'm, 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 a, I'm a city boy too, but my record time is 43 minutes to the top. Wow. <laughs> Impressive. But, uh, but I've gone there 10 times. I mean, you know, we, we make the students, I take, you know, the, the Texas students, I take them on a trip and we make them, um, we make them like walk up just it's the best way to get there. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, but talking about rewinding about potatoes that you mentioned, if I heard, I could have swore when I was improved. It's, I think they told me there's 500 different varieties of potatoes. Was, am I right on that? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I mean, you know, as a researcher, I look it up. Everybody said, you know, there's some people say 400, some say a thousand, some, you know, who, who knows? 
Whatever it is, that's a lot of varieties. We'll put it that way. A lot of different, you know, varieties of potatoes. As I always say, as an Andeanist, I'm like the worst Andeanist in the world because (laughs) um, I don't like potatoes, and most people don't like potatoes. Um, You know, uh, they're bland. I mean, we like the oil, the salt, the frying. You know, that's what we like about potatoes. I mean, you know, come on, it's just. <laughs> you know, they're they're not that good. You ever, you know, you know, I grew up. I mean, I grew up in a you know Italian neighborhood, but my mother was an Irish cook, and she used to make boiled potatoes. And that's one of the reasons I started to search out other things to eat because they're horrible. Yeah, you're like, there's got to be something else better out here, <laughs> right? You know, so, but I mean, you know, as far as the different varieties of potatoes, Peru is just there's enormous types, and I I still think that you have to cook them a certain way or whatever. I mean, one of the simplest ones is Wyro potatoes, which are, you know, uh, they're they're featured at a couple of sandwich places in Lima. And that's still a wild potato, I mean, for the most part. And it's a completely different taste. Definitely. Um, You know, the the problem with potatoes is that the one variety has been cultivated so much around the world that it wouldn't survive without pesticides and without, you know, fertilizers. So when you're eating potatoes, like you're eating a lot of stuff with them, Um, you know, uh, it was... Well, anyhow, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> but yeah, but we, we can't skip one uh, topic because this one was uh, – it, it caught my interest because I didn't know this. We have a few minutes left. Uh, coca. I didn't yeah. know how many varieties of the coca bushes – it says 216 varieties of coca bushes – and uh, obviously, they're all native to uh, northern South America. No, and... no, 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 not not the two hundred sixteen. But by the way, you're going to get, you know, I got fifteen minutes on this. Okay, so let me talk really quickly. There's two hundred sixteen varieties. There's four varieties that have cocaine in them. Okay, that they're all from South America. Out of the four varieties, there's one that the Inca, the Inca said was Tupacoca. And then Tupacoca means royal. It's like the word Tupa means royal. I mean, it's in Tupa Sakor's like name. And, you know, he had a half in Quechua name and half a Swahili name. The Tupa name means royal. So they figured that is the best coca that you can have. And that's the one that is the most distinguished for chewing coca. Chewing coca in South America and Indian nations is perfectly legal. And the way that you do it is you chew cocoa with a little bit of lime or like um, uh, 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 ash. You know, you can chew. And it's like a pouch in their mouth. Right. And you, But you have to chew it with that to leach out the small amounts. There's a lot of nutrients in it and also the cocaine. And it comes out in very small amounts. The Andean people have been chewing that for 8,000 years for sure. Probably longer than that, no addiction or whatever. Cocaine was synthesized by a German chemist in 1865, and it was downhill ever since then. But anyhow, chewing, you know, chewing coca like you know makes you stronger when you're walking. That stages. Well, and well, one of the most what I was going to bring up was 
when I went there is uh, it, it's used as uh, altitude altitude sickness because yeah. but yeah. you have to use it in for the coca tea but you have to be smart and use the right amount because when i got there the first place i went they said oh have some coca tea it will help with the altitude sickness i don't know what happened the the, the front desk left and they just said the stuff's over there and they just pointed at it well i didn't know i took a handful of it put it in the cup filled it with hot water and it was a little too much it, it, it was sort of like having a high mountain oolong tea having 10 bags of that because the caffeine or whatever is in it. It, it it picked me up immediately but having a small amount just sipping on it and things like that it it does truly help with the altitude sickness because i struggled with it when i was in Cusco. uh when i was there yeah, yeah, the altitude yeah, but- got to me yeah, Cusco is like 13,000 feet. I mean, it's more than two miles up, so it's difficult. The, the thing is about when you're drinking coca tea, I mean, it, it you know, uh, water is a solvent, so it will leach out small amounts of cocaine and other things. It's enough so if you drink coca tea and you come back home to the States and it's like 20 hours, if you're a cop and you do an urine analysis test, you're going to pop positive. I mean, that's that's documented in my book. Um, but the thing is, the the really the alkalis which release the alkaloids are are basically wood ash and the cow. It's the lime that you throw in the your soil in the summer, you know, which they actually sell. But you know, they they're not going to sell it at the airport to tourists. You, if you go to a market, you can buy a pound bag of coca leaves, and then, you know you buy it with yipta, and yipta is a ball of basically gum and ash that you actually chew. And you, you know, next time you go back, let me know. I'll tell you where to go. Definitely, definitely. And one of the other things was uh, there was these seeds that made everything was red in their mouth and they they were on stands they you would drive down the road and they were selling them everywhere i i don't know that you know it sounds like beetle but um i think know. that's what it was called it was like little nuts yeah i mean um you chewed uh, them and it made it, it was like red you they would chew them and you have it in your mouth and it was may, like red maybe you got to the lowland areas they might have had some beetle but i you know i haven't seen a lot of beetle on corals i mean but beetle does basically the same sort of thing yeah, yeah, but it's it's a wonderful country. Uh, it, it's so interesting. The history, the culinary adventures, and the food are simply amazing. And you really did a fantastic job, as you mentioned, everything that we've talked about, mentioning all of this and the history and the food in the book. Uh, the, the Pola a la Braza, amazing. Uh, great that you brought that up. I really love that dish. Uh, I could go on and on the, the amount of research that you did. It's a fantastic book. We want everyone to go out eating Peru. Uh, Robert Bradley, it was such a pleasure talking to you, pal. Next time you're around, maybe we'll all go up to uh, De Lorenzo's. I know Don would enjoy that. I would. I would look so much forward to that. Um, the only yeah. thing about South Texas is I got no pizza and I got no bagels. Uh, well, we'll we'll come with the pizza, and Don's gonna come with his special espresso. That's Don's specialty go. too. So it'd yeah. be uh, just like living in the Italian village again. 
Yeah, and I uh, love you guys. Love, love you guys. It's great. Why don't you tell us a uh, social media website or anything like that if you'd like before you go? Yeah, Robert Bradley. Uh, I'm at uh, you know Facebook and I'm um, uh, pre-Columbian Bob, all one word, all small, 77 at um, Instagram. Awesome. Have a great night. Thanks so much, pal. Yeah, you too. Pleasure. Pleasure. Take care. Take care. Ciao. Ciao. All right. Well, talking about great food, Don, uh, with great food, it's always nice to have a uh, wonderful beverage to uh, cocktail. Exactly. To enjoy a meal. And uh, we've got the perfect person online with us. It's uh, Keith Krem of K-L-Y-R Rum, and uh, they are locally distilled in Pennsylvania. How about that? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Thanks for having me tonight. So it's a pleasure. Rum. So it's clear rum. That's how we, uh, that's how we get it out there. Rum. It's not clear, clear. Uh, but, uh, yeah, very excited to be here. Awesome. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on, pal. Uh, so before we uh, get started, why don't we – hear a little bit about yourself and uh, tell us a little bit of uh, K-L-Y-R rum. Clear, clear. Yep. Oh, yep. clear, so, clear, clear. clear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it takes me a little while, Don. It takes me a little while. There we go. Dangle that carrot in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I'm the COO of, uh, of Clear Rum. Uh, we are a brand uh, started July 1st, 2021. Um, so we're a little over two years into our, our journey. Uh, locally distilled in uh, Lewisbury, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour and a half west, um, down 76 there and a little south of Harrisburg um, from Philadelphia. Um, and so uh, we have our flagship uh, clear rum, which is a, we like to call a crystal rum, um, which would fall under the, the silver, silver rum category. And then we have a, a whole lineup of uh, canned cocktails um, that we also have. Awesome. Now, one of the things that really, uh, I guess, I, I don't know if others do this, but it, it impressed me. Yeah. It says that it's to 12 times distilled and filtered 18 times. Yep. That seems a little excessive. I mean, is that industry <laughs> standard or is this just something you guys really are going through to make sure that it's coming out clear, as you say? Um, I, I mean, so clear is a crafted spirit, right? Um, 100%. Uh, we're, we're making it from, uh, from sugar and mashing it and fermenting it and, and, and then, you know, stripping it and going through the whole process. Um, and then, yeah, and our finishing still, um, you know, it's, uh, it's running through there uh, 12 times and then um, through the, the filter there uh, 18 times. And we're just really running it through. And that's what really lends itself to the clean American rum. That's what makes us different is that we are a clean American rum. Uh, so zero grams of carbs. Uh, we are uh, lower calorie actually than uh, than Tito's by uh, one calorie shot for shot. Calories count. Calories count. So this is the cleanest uh, cleanest rum that you can get on the market. Um, and so that all that all goes back to that distillation and filtration process. Yeah, I have oh. to, yeah. I have to say that uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of trying your rum on a few occasions. Um, and I have to say, it has a really uh, distinguished, unique taste to it. When you're drinking yep. it, it's 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 uh, pleasant to the palate to to, to sip, and it, and it mixes very well with uh, Coke and other you know, products that you like with your rum. 
Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, that's, that's you know, what, what we want to hear. So thank you, right? I mean, when, uh, when you look at uh, the silver rums in particular, um, you know, they're really notorious for being something that, that kind of comes off a little harsh, right? And, and yeah. sugary and needs to be masked, you know, masked um, um, by, by mixers and things like that. And you really don't honestly want the rum to shine through. Um, whereas we're, uh, we're a little bit different on that front. Right. Uh, and that's the journey that we want to take people that may not be used to, to a silver rum of that quality, uh, or that can be used that way. Um, and that has the versatility to, to really be mixed, um, with quite a few things, but you can drink it, you know, uh, with water, right. Clear and water, or you can even drink it, yep, uh, yep. drink it straight. So, yeah, um, yeah. that's exactly what we want to hear. Uh, 100%. Yeah. Speaking of water, your, uh, RTDs are, are, my favorite is the uh, the uh, cucumber mint. Cucumber mint, I call that spa. Part. I call that the spa water, right? Yeah, uh, that's yeah. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you a bougie guy? You a bougie guy? Oh, if you only guy. knew Don. <laughs> Don uh, likes to enjoy the high life. He sits there. You, you got your feet up while you're drinking that, don't you, Don? I sure do. Nice uh, glass of ice, and it's. It's very surprising when you're drinking it, because you it it uh, you really don't taste the rum as I mean it, it, you know it's there, but the uh, the flavor combination with the rum and the uh, the cucumber mint is really outstanding. No, it's uh, it's one of my favorite flavors, and uh, I mean it's refreshing. Um, I think of all of them, I think that's the one that really just with the the nice combination of the cucumber and the mint, it comes off just so refreshing, especially. Uh, as we get into these warmer months, but um, you know we do have the two types uh, of, of canned cocktails. Um, so the the cucumber mint falls in line in our water line, which is four point five percent ABV, ninety nine calories, right? Three point five grams of carbs, super clean in terms of a, a canned beverage. Um, you know that's going to be comparable to any of the lower calorie and uh, you know seltzers that are out there. Um, and it is different. Number one, that it's not a seltzer, and number two. Um, that we do have those unique flavor profiles um, that are uh, that that are really just a truly refreshing um, in in all scenarios. And then we have the six point five or so. I don't know. Did you get to try any of the six point five percent? The big boys, the um, the crushers, the crush. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. So uh, for those who aren't familiar with the line, tell us about what RTD and crushers. What what differentiates them? What's the name meaning behind them? Yeah, so we have a, it's clear crush. We have a clear crush, a punch, a smash, and a blast. Um, and so those, unlike the water line, the water has four flavors, which is the cucumber mint, an original uh, lemon lime water, right? A passion fruit and a tangerine. Uh, on the other side, we have those big, powerful, and we use those powerful words, right? Crush, punch, smash, blast. And those are 6.5% ABV um, and a little bit more of a traditional cocktail. Um, in both of them, though, they're not seltzers, right? Um, these are, these are, our flats um, that, you know, are best served over ice. Um, and, you know, in terms of the 6.5%, uh, I mean, they're going to bring a, bring a lot of flavor. Uh, it's still not compromising too bad in terms of the clean drinking uh, aspect, a little bit higher in the calorie, a little bit higher in the, the grams of sugar, but uh, still on the, the lower side if you're comparing them to beer and things like that. So um, you have an orange crush. Uh, so that's the one uh, that Don had there. And, uh, and then we have a, a berry lemonade blast and then it's a mango fruit punch. Um, and then the pineapple smash. I actually, my personal favorite is the, the pineapple smash. I think it's the best pineapple, uh, on the market. 
Awesome. Awesome. Now, one of the things uh, that was noted that I, I liked to see was it says that you're sourcing the natural water from Pennsylvania aquifers. Uh, as we know in Philadelphia, the, the secret's in the water for delicious bread, isn't it, Don? So the same goes for a uh, good drink. But one of the things that caught my attention was it says that you're sourcing your sugars from Georgia and Louisiana. I found that interesting. There's not a lot of places that I can say that are promoting that they are sourcing their sugars from there. Uh, one, it has to be a little bit more expensive, but I'm sure it's a, a higher grade and a better product, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's just about um, getting the best ingredients, and that goes back to our, our distiller, um, who's a, a young young rock star there, uh, Lexi. So she's uh, 26 years young um and really is the the master brain uh, master child so to speak uh you know brainchild behind uh, behind clear rum and so um, she just takes a lot of pride in everything that, that we do um and making sure that clear truly is the that best product and again i think that for us when we look at what's out there on the market um in terms of silver silver rums um you know and and i'll uh, i'll take the pop shot at them i mean everybody thinks silver rum they think bacardi um and you know, Bacardi's been around since the 70s, um, but it's it's got all those, you know, those profile issues we talked about that generally you're taking it and needing to mix it and cover it in something else. And so um, sourcing quality ingredients, right, um, taking the time and care in our process um, in every bottle that we make is, is crucial for us um, as a young brand. Um, but it's going to be crucial for us in the long term to, to get to where we want to get to in terms of, of becoming a national brand. Well, and saying that going national, uh, you are available on the East Coast at uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Maryland, Delaware, and Florida so far. Uh, I, I think you guys are really going to grow, especially with the uh, message that you're putting out and uh, the products that you're giving. I mean, I know Don's certainly a big fan. He's, he's given his, uh, his blessing and mentioned the, the different products that you guys have available. Uh, what do you imagine, uh, will be the big step in 2024 for you guys to expand nationally? Uh, what is it that you see is the message that you want to get out? What, what's the one big sentence or, or sales pitch of why? Because when you go into a liquor store, there's a lot of options. Why is it that we should spend our hard-earned money on Clear? Uh, I mean, Clear's here to challenge the status quo um, around how people think about silver rum, right? Um, and so... Um, if you're somebody that likes new experiences and you're somebody that um, is open to, to something different, we want to take you on a journey and we want to show you that um, you can think about silver rum differently and drink it and enjoy it differently. Um, and we want to be part of, you know, your, Amer your great American life. Um, you know, we can be enjoyed uh, in the summer. We can be enjoyed in the fall. We can be enjoyed in the winter. Um, we have high end quality products um, that uh we feel are better than than any product out there and um so we we want to challenge everybody to rethink um how they they think of rum uh in general and in particular silver rum and so um anybody that's up for a challenge uh clean american rum is is here to uh to test you a little bit and show you that uh we have a a, a great product here um, and we can change the way that you think about silver rum 
Awesome. Awesome. And also in Pennsylvania, there's state stores. Uh, so once you're in a state store, does that mean that you're throughout the entire state? That does not. So we are unique. Um, our state store placement uh, relates to us being a PA based uh, brand. So you actually kind of scale up. So um, we're only in about 30 state stores. Um, okay. The best place in, in Pennsylvania uh, is to have we offer uh, direct home delivery right through our website. So oh, um, wonderful. Clear, yeah, clearrum.com. Uh, head on there. Uh, you can use my affiliate code Keith2023 uh is uh there for 35 percent off but we got uh we got great promotions going on there all the time um you have the full access to the full line of the products um and we uh we get it delivered to your doorstep 48 hours um, now how about from, from uh order. how about the other states on the website does it list where to find it in other it states because... yeah so you can uh the other states where you know we have some limited uh limited availability in uh in delaware as you said and uh in new york and uh in florida uh, we have some really good retail presence uh, in New Jersey, so um, you can uh, tap in there. And most certainly, if you have any questions, uh, you know, we have the contact box. You reach out, um, ask us directly. We're a small but gritty crew here, and we will get uh, get right back to you and help you find our product. And um, all the folks in PA, hit that uh, hit that direct delivery up. It's a, a great, yeah. great system that we got. Well, and is there anything that you're able to share publicly, Don? You did share some information yeah, before yeah. the show to me. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'd like to thank, uh, Ashley, your your rep is uh, one hell of a, excuse my language, one heck of a person uh, representing your company. She's really proud, and uh, when she walks in, you can tell that she really enjoys working for your company. But uh, I want to thank you for being one of our uh, major sponsors for our uh Pub crawl, Shamrock and Roll, and Delco. Yep. And uh, yeah, we're going to be starting over at uh, Terry's Two at 1541 Chester Pike in Falcroft. Uh, come there, and if you want to try the products, we're going to have them on hand, and uh, we're going to have promotions all day on your specific product to help you promote it as you're helping us promote our uh, Pub crawl. Well, yeah, Don, no, we're, we're Don, have you not learned on the show? You need to give the dates and information and all of that. <laughs> when is this pub crawl? Where can I just come to your location and start there? Is there a fee? Uh, that'd be yeah. good. Do, do, I, do we need to get you a publicist? Yeah, you might have to. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the pub crawl starts March 2nd. Uh, the bar opens at 10 o'clock. The buses will start at 2 p.m. Um, so, so, we, so we can have a lot of fun before the buses start. Oh, yeah. Also, <laughs> it's, a have, uh, it's a banger. It's a banger. Yeah, we're going to have free ham and cabbage uh, made by uh, yours truly. Oh! So then I've always had a good, uh, good uh, feedback on the ham and cabbage. All right. So it's March 2nd. Uh, be at Terry's 2 at 10 a.m., correct? 10 a.m. the bar opens, and like I said, you can have it. Enjoy yourself. We're going to give out uh, shirts uh, to the people that are going to be going on the bus. Is there a fee? The bus is free. Free? Free bus. You go from bar to bar. There's eight bars involved uh, through Delaware County and Essington, as well as uh, uh, Springfield, Falkcroft, and well, I think. And you've done this before. Didn't you tell me last year that the buses were filled to capacity? In the very beginning, yes, they are. Yeah. Seats are limited. Come early. 
and uh, you really enjoy yourself. Well, that, that sounds like a proper good time, my friend. And Ashley from the Clear Team will be there. Yes, she will. Yes, she will. Yep. Oh, awesome. And, uh, also wanted to thank your company for putting the American flag on all your products. Uh, not too many. Not too many uh, companies do that anymore. Something that we're uh, we're really proud of um, to be locally made, to be American made. Um, we're you know as we we highlight ourselves as a clean American rum. Um, it's in our blood um, and in everything that we do. So absolutely proud to have that flag on uh, on every product um, and to to show it loud and proud. Awesome. Well, Keith, it was a pleasure talking to you, pal. Uh, it's clear rum, uh, or if you just want to spell it out, it's K L Y R for anyone else, such as myself. Either way, you ask for it at Terry's, too. You can be served it, huh, Don? Exactly, exactly. Uh, but it's uh, clear rum. Uh, Keith Krem, thanks again. Why don't you share a website, social media, anything like that before you go? Yeah, uh, clearrum, uh, clearrum.com, and then uh, you know, at clearrum on uh, on Instagram, Facebook, the whole nine. So um, shoot us a like, shoot us a follow. Um, we got all kinds of our events are up on our socials all the time. Uh, we got a full events calendar, and like I said, you can uh, if you're in Pennsylvania in particular, um, you can have clear uh, delivered to your house by Tuesday if you order uh, order tonight. So um you know enjoy looking forward to the second guys all right yep. perfect have a great night looking forward to awesome. you, Keith. thank you thank you all right, thank you. all right don that was a lot of fun yes it was uh, march 2nd terry's two be there yeah. or be square yeah, this saturday this saturday coming up all right well i'll make sure that this uh, episode's published before then <laughs> <laughs> True. No one will ever know when this was recorded. All they'll know is that they need to be at Terry's 2, March 2nd, 10 a.m., eight bars, clear rum, and a good old party with ham and cabbage made by the big man himself, Donato. Italian man making Irish cabbage. <laughs> Who would ever thought? <laughs> Add a couple Peruvian tomatoes. You'll be set. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. That was fun, Don. Why don't you end it? Yes, uh, my name is Donato Marino with uh, DNL Coffee Service. You can find me on Facebook. You can reach me at 215-6940-555 if you have any questions or any concerns on your espresso machines. And don't forget to get your filters changed. Thank there you me. go. Derek Tim of BlueGeneFood.com. Uh, voted 2023 Best of Arts and Entertainment Metro Philly uh, newspaper 2024 again. Thanks so much for all of the awards and accolades that we won uh, last week. Uh, just follow our social medias for when the next show will be published. Uh, doing it every, about every uh, two to three months, closer to the three-month mark. So uh, thanks again to all of our guests who uh, spent their time with us and hope you guys enjoyed. Have yourself a good night. Good night, everybody. Have a good one.